The Reverend Martin Luther King is on Bimini, writing his Nobel Peace Prize acceptance speech. From his island vacation retreat, King sent FBI Director Hoover a cable suggesting a personal get-together. King responded to Hoover's charge that the civil rights leader was the most notorious liar in the country. Well, naturally, I was uh, shocked and greatly surprised that Mr. Hoover would make such an unwarranted and vicious accusation. Uh, I don't think Mr. Hoover would have made such a statement if he had not been under a great deal of pressure. Uh, probably he is beginning to falter under the awesome responsibilities, complexities, and burdens of his very difficult position, and for this reason, uh, I would not like to get in a public debate with him. Uh, I've not done it in the past. My criticisms have always been of the FBI in general. Do you believe the FBI is doing all it can to resolve civil rights complaints? Well, I don't know all of the inner workings of the FBI. I do know that in cases that do not involve Negroes and civil rights, the FBI moves with dispatch. It has the machinery, the know-how uh, to find bombings, for instance, of airplanes where you have the wreckage uh, spread over two or three states. And the fact remains that in spite of all of the brutalities that we faced in Albany, Georgia, not a single arrest was made. In spite of the fact that four unoffending innocent Negro girls were brutally murdered in a church in Birmingham, Alabama, not a single arrest has been made. And in spite of the fact that civil rights workers were killed this summer in Mississippi, uh, we haven't seen a single arrest. can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. I'm Cameron Mason, the other one. And we're not even going to wait. We got, we're just going to jump into this. I'm going to introduce our guests and then we're going to get into this movie because there's a lot, there's a lot of things to talk about. <laughs> uh, and I, and I have a lot of information to share. So, uh, we are, we are very, uh, you came to me, you came to me with the text that you had a dissertation. Uh, yeah. I mean, it wasn't even, I was just, just the research alone. It wasn't even just like my feelings. It was things that I found out after the fact. So, uh, we have a wonderful guest for you guys today. Uh, <laughs> He is a terrific writer. Uh, you may have seen his work in GQ. You may have seen his work um, in Complex. You may have seen his work, OK Player, a lot of other different places. Uh, please welcome H.G. Blackburn. Hello, everybody. Thanks for the intro. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I mean, yeah, we're going to get into this film, but I do <laughs> I do want to ask uh, a few questions uh, just okay. before we start, start talking about it, because I, I'm always interested in what it's like for not even just freelance writers, but specifically for black freelance writers uh, and specifically now where <laughs> mm -hmm. it seems like they, they do and don't want us, right? Like they do right. want to hear our voices. Maybe they don't want to pay us for it. Maybe they do want to <laughs> have us, you know, just to have us, but not really use us in the way that we could, we could specifically be utilized. So what's it been like for you? You know, is it just like every February, like the inbox blows up and then you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're kind of just like, Oh, okay. You know, I've got other thoughts and opinions, but that's, that's cool. Or is it, have you been lucky enough to get that steady, steady work? 
Um, well, I've kind of had different modes where I've been um, working harder and less hard, less hard, just depending on what my full-time job situation is like. Um, but I think editors are pretty receptive for the most part. I think the real struggle is um, there are certain things in your prose that don't connect with an editor if they're not Black. And there are certain ideas you have that don't connect with an editor if they're not Black. Like, there are things that I've pitched and an editor's like, this is a ridiculous idea. And I tell my friend about it, and they're like, yo, why isn't anybody writing about this? And it's, mm. it's just, there's really a big disconnect with what ideas people think are worthy. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think that, um, I think a lot of black writers are getting a lot of work, but getting really pigeonholed into writing about culture. When mm. um, there are a lot of black writers who, are very, very, very skilled and they can write about anything under the sun, but they're just not really given that opportunity. There's a lot of us that are writing about music and movies and TV, uh, but we don't really have any seats at the table in Washington. Mm. I mean, what does the White House reporters pool look like? I mean, it's, there's not a lot of metal, not a lot of metal. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for sure. Well, and even I mean, you think about you know, like in the in the tech space, right, and the finance space, right. Um, you know, even in like the travel space, or you know, a lot of different places oh. where I think it could definitely be be necessary to kind of have our voices, mm-hmm. so that you know, it's it's not even just that disconnect, right, but also it it opens the doors, right. Like right. I think that's that's always been the tricky part, um, is that like there's there's the one and then the one is expected to be all encompassing and kind of do all the things and then if that one person isn't spectacular and exceptional then it's just like well i guess they're all kind of <laughs> you know the same right. way instead of just like well no like just hire multiple people from multiple backgrounds and like you'll see that you're going to get not even just a better you know product but you're going to get you know a, a more diverse readership as well people coming to whatever, whatever your publication is. So, I mean, I guess on that topic for you then, like what, what has been the most enjoyable thing that you've gotten to write about that was like, maybe not necessarily within what, what you might consider like the places that people typically try to put you. Um, well, I am, I'm really happy to be writing about movies and TV, um, as a journalist, um, I kind of have a really big imposter syndrome with that. Mm. It's like, I don't consider myself a real journalist writing about movies like i mean i think that people who are covering politics and the police and guns in this country those are like the the real gung-ho reporters out there um but in terms of things that you typically wouldn't see a black writer i've done some food stuff which is awesome really cool Uh, i wrote about something called poke which is like um Mm. a mexican cocktail uh that you don't really see in the states ever um, so it's, it's really great to, I'm, I'm a really big in the food and beverages. I've worked in the service industry. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I love exploring that sort of stuff. And, you know, that's another place where you don't see a lot of black writers mm-hmm. in the food scene. And, um, I think it's super important to get you know, our, our taste, our point of view on these, those sort of things, because I mean, food is a really big part of our culture. For sure. Um, and it's a really big part of American culture at large. So if you're not seeing our perspective in food journalism, then you're not getting a real perspective of American food culture at all. Yeah. 
that's why I loved High on the Hog so much because it was just like, oh shit, like this oh is like, yeah. you know, not even just getting to see all these different uh, stories that you just don't typically hear about, but then like the food looked so good. Yeah, <laughs> just like how do I get, how do I book a trip to wherever that is so I can uh, get whatever that is. You get a job on the show. That's what yeah. You do. Well, you know, I'll, I'll work on it. I'll see what I can do. Um, well, Drew, we we need to get to this film because uh, we do we got oh, a yeah. lot to cover. We got a lot to talk about. But There's a whole lot tell, of going on. Tell everybody <laughs> what movie you chose for us to watch this week. I chose Mississippi Burning. Um, I chose that movie because when I looked at your list, I, I wanted to do. We talked about Hardball. I wanted to do Hardball. Yeah. I was already done. Mm-hmm. I'm a really big baseball fan, um, so I wanted to do a movie that I thought would be a little difficult to discuss. Um, and also one that was actually pretty good, so I wouldn't watch it. <laughs> Something that's awful <laughs> and racist. So yeah, that's what I chose. Mississippi Burning. <laughs> and you were saying that this was the first time you had seen it in a while, right? In about thirteen years, yeah, in about thirteen, fourteen years, something like that. And what was what was the initial impression the first time you watched it? The first time I watched it, I just thought it was a really great movie. I mean, there's a lot that this movie does right. Um, so without the lens that I have on film now, um, I mean, I, I just saw the performances. I saw how um, the drama really pulls through in, in all aspects of the movie. That's what I saw initially, you know, when I was like a teenager. <laughs> that was my, those are my thoughts on the movie. Cameron, was this the first time you'd seen this? Oh, yeah. This is definitely <laughs> the first time. You know what? It's. It was, I've seen so many of these movies. <laughs> I think I've actually seen too many of these movies. And this is one that, like, it's on the list. You always hear about it when it's in conversation with other movies like this, when other um, civil rights movies, especially Deep South uh, civil rights films. So I knew I was going to get around to it, but I didn't, I didn't expect this narrative. I'm going to tell you that. From from that point of view alone, I just I just didn't expect mm-hmm. this narrative, and I didn't expect it to go this hard because I started watching it at my day job, and uh, I had just done an HR training maybe maybe <laughs> an hour before that, and they didn't say that I'm not allowed to watch like full lynchings <laughs> at my job. You got 17 so like, hard hey, R's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Just the hardest. And just flying with reckless, with a, carelessness, with gusto, yeah. gusto. Just we're going for these award performances. If you, yeah. you know, if, if you measure an Oscar worthy performance by how hard the R sounds on the <laughs> end of that word. Everyone in this movie thought they were go- they were going up against each other. You you hey, it's you man. They was all sure. hitting each other in the locker room like the Miami Heat. It was like let's go, let's go, fam, <laughs> let's go, let's do this. Well, this was this was <laughs> my first time seeing this movie as well, and I think it's I don't know. I mean, I think everything's just going to be colored from now on, having seen so many of these movies in succession. You know what I mean? Oof, like we're, we're talking about this is the end of the trilogy right like we watched Our mississippi trilogy yeah we watched ghost of mississippi <laughs> we watched uh a time to kill and now we're watching it i guess the help you could throw that in there the I mean, quadrilogy <laughs> sure the 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 racist ass mississippi yeah. cinematic universe right you know 
It's it's still the MCU, I guess. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, so yeah, just this have this being the last one, having seen all the others, like I mean, it's really interesting just all the, the ways that people kind of approached more or less the same subject matter, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're all basically you know, a time to kill is like a I mean it's exploitative in the sense that it's just like a crazy you know, thriller movie, but like uh, Ghost of Mississippi is definitely trying to do something similar here where it's like about actual events, about mm-hmm. like actual people. Um, Ghost of Mississippi uses the real names. This one, uh, they got a little fast and loose with the history and the, and the, <laughs> the names of people and things like that. And we'll discuss that in a bit. Um, but just to give people a little bit more background, Ghost, uh, Mississippi Burning comes out in 1988. Um, it is directed by Alan Parker. Uh, it is written by uh, Chris Garamo. But like, we'll talk about that because it's it's written by Chris Garamo. He gets the credit, but there's a lot of rewrites and additions throughout. Um, but it does star Gene Hackman. It stars William Defoe. It stars Francis McDermott. Um, and really just a lot of other people, uh, that are like name, name. I mean, you'll see people and you'll be like, is that like, and it is <laughs> lots of uh, name character actors. Just, yeah. just, just working it up, working that yeah. voice up to get that hard R out. <laughs> every, every like character actor you ever saw that you thought in the back of your head, they can play a pretty good racist. They do yeah. that job here. You have a Lee Emery or yeah. Uh, Lee, Lee Emery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's like, has one of the most iconic um, roles in film in a full, full metal, metal jacket. jacket yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's one of the big actors that stood out to me. Uh, He's a legend. The, yeah, for sure. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about Alan Parker just to give us a little bit more context because there's some, some things in the in the catalog that I I, yeah. I, I I'm I'm curious about. So how, how did he become this guy? Because I I actually know I'm actually familiar with his work. Yeah. So before uh, and after this. So yeah. Let's yeah, go. If you know if you know who he, I mean he is from Midnight Express. He is from Fame. Uh, he did Shoot the Moon. He did Pink Floyd's The Wall. Um, but he did a little film way back when, in 1976, <laughs> that people may not know, called Bugsy Malone, which is one of the most <laughs> insane films. If you have not seen this, I mean, it's it was on How Did This Get Made and like some other yeah. shows. But basically, the, the conceit is it's a musical with kid gangsters. Yeah. Uh, like, it's it's... All, all different kids singing, and it stars both Jodie Foster and Scott Bale. <laughs> Shooting for the moon there, and it's just like the wildest movie. Uh, I would, I would I, recommend tracking it down if you like a terrible film because it is indeed a terrible film. I, I used to like it before I had taste. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it's for you know? kids. Like if you're a kid, you're like, if you're oh. a kid, you might eat it up. Yeah, but like anybody else, you're just like, oh shit. Um, but like drinking chocolate milkshakes instead of yeah. like whiskeys and yeah. things like that, and oh, this movie is it's wild in another way. But then he also goes on in 1996 to do Avita, so you know his catalog is kind of he's esteemed all over the place. Yeah, he, he's um, esteemed and he is also all over the place. But definitely his preceding filmography definitely 
does not like set him up for yeah. Mississippi burning and like specifically like the tense material within. Also, yeah. also about Alan Parker, he's not from the United States. Which I no. think he is not an American person. <laughs> yes, which I think is really no. interesting to look at movies like this from the purview of somebody who probably sees themselves as progressive from another mm-hmm. country. Um, One yeah. million percent. Yeah. Well, let me let me let me do my best, uh, Cameron, to <laughs> get this. Oh, in five I actually. Minutes. Yeah, we didn't we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I was like, I, I don't know if I want to do it because I'm going to regress it to its yeah. the sum of its parts. But yeah. I want to see what well, you got for it. <laughs> Jordan, <laughs> I think we Sean, baby, see. let's see. We'll, we'll see yeah, what happens. Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right, we got the timer set. Five minutes. Three, right. two, one. Uh, so the movie starts off with a black and white scene of a of a colored and a whites only water fountain, just setting the tone, letting you know off top where this the mood of this film is going to be. Setting that sepia tone. Yeah, um, <laughs> but then we we immediately cut to 1964. Uh, we're in Mississippi in the in the fictional Jessup County, um, and there's a group of civil rights activists who are leaving the town, leaving the county. Uh, it's two white kids and one black kid um and of course obviously following behind are one car then a truck and then a police car and then you kind of get the idea that this convoy is coming after them right um and this movie is based on the real life murders of three civil rights activists uh cheney goodman and turner in Mississippi, uh, who were two Jewish civil rights activists and one bl- black civil rights activist who were first disappeared, like people didn't know where they were, and then were ultimately found to be murdered. And so in this retelling, uh, the three of them get pulled over in a moment of, of white hubris. One of the white characters turns to the other and says, it's going to be OK, uh, which it's, it's clearly not, because who rolls up but one Yandu, one Michael Ricker, <laughs> <laughs> comes up just he's he's the the most racist person you could imagine, um, and he he just he pull he pulls out the tool and just <laughs> on sight just kills basically all three of them just shoots up the car, um, and then we are introduced to two of our. Um, main characters that would be gene hackman as rupert anderson who is when we meet him basically doing the ku klux klan musical like he's got sheet music for like a kkk song that he's singing uh to agent alan ward who's william defoe who is maybe even more terrifying because he's just a normal person like it's scary i don't know if it's more scary that he's just like a regular guy than if it's just you know everyday William Defoe, but he's. You wonder uh, if he's got like <laughs> other makeup on, like prosthetics <laughs> or something. It's strange. He's wearing a suit. Yeah. No. Uh, but they're on the way because the FBI has been sent in to investigate uh, this disappearance, and so when they get there, obviously everybody's in on the cover up. The police are not cooperative. They're telling the story that oh these kids must have just driven away they're probably in chicago having a good laugh about all this like you guys are really you know kicking up a lot of dust for no reason um and you know 
it, this really good. The, a lot of the movie goes back and forth between this. So there's a scene in the beginning where Ward goes into a diner. They're going in to get food. There's no tables. Except Ward's like, oh, there's seats there in the back where all the black people are. And he goes up to a black man minding his own business, eating lunch, <laughs> sits down next to him, starts up a conversation. The black guy's immediately just like, please do not talk to me i don't want to be seen with you don't make it any more hot for me than it already is but ward persists and keeps talking to him smash cut to the next scene where he gets the shit beat out of him they chase him through his house through a pig sty like they just beat the crap out of this guy um and so you know anderson who I guess was also like a small town sheriff in another part of Mississippi. It's like, you can't do that around here. You know what I mean? Like there's a, there's a certain way that you have to go about this. You know, you got to sweet talk people. Like he ends up sweet talking, uh, Francis McDermott's character, who's Mrs. Pell, who is the wife of one of the police officers who murdered, uh, the three, the three kids. And so like, they're kind of going about it different ways, right? Anderson's trying to to make his way in. He's talking to the mayor. He's in the barbershop and all these different places, uh, just trying to get information. While Ward is just like, we're going to take over this town. He's bringing in more FBI agents. He's bringing in more uh, people to kind of be on the street and, and question people. And so uh, they get a tip from, uh, I guess, one of the native groups in the area that they've seen the car that they're looking for. So they find the car in the swamp. Uh, and one of my favorite scenes where I think this guy just wants to get these white people's suits dirty. So he walks through the swamp and they have to follow him in when they clearly could have just walked around. But <laughs> they go into the swamp, uh, they find the car, they pull it out. And so they're just like, this is this is their car. You know, we've got it. And then Ward's like, well, we got to we got to fucking drag the swamp, like bring in 100 FBI agents, bring in all these people. So things start to escalate because now wasn't uh, happening. Wasn't yeah, happening it's anyway. It's fine. I don't but even know if we got past the first act. I don't <laughs> really, <know. laughs> that's true. That's... <laughs> well, because well, here, here's, here's what happens, right? It's It gets hot, right? Because I think even the beginning of the movie, we see a church blow up. Or get burnt down. And so we get this montage of like cutting between the FBI investigation and just black people getting it. It is like every every other moment, black people in peril. Their houses are being burned down. They're getting Screaming. the shit Terrifying. kicked out of them. Um, there's a particular moment. We meet a young Eddie Winslow. Uh, <laughs> a 10-year-old Eddie Winslow, Darius McRae. Uh, I, we don't. I think his character has a name. I never got it, but he is uh, the one cooperative member of the community who, like, you know, gives them a bit of information. Uh, but then even like they come to his church and like just beat the shit out of everybody. Somebody gives him the Undertaker boot to the face. Like it's wild. Like they're just everybody's getting it. So uh, we see that Anderson is kind of he's making inroads with. Um, with Miss Pell, right? Like very much so they're developing some kind of relationship, whether it's romantic or just really intensely platonic, it's unclear, but uh they uh he's he's really working her for information. But you know, the the big issue is that even though they have the car, they don't have anything that they can pin on any of these people, right? Like they know the mayor's probably in on it. They know the sheriff's in on it. They know the clan is in town and they're probably in on it, but there's nothing they can really do to say definitively this person has done X, Y, and Z. 
And so what could only be described as Deus Ex nigga, this black guy just shows up out of nowhere, <laughs> kidnaps the mayor, <laughs> gives a monologue about a guy getting his balls cut off and threatens <laughs> to cut off the mayor's balls. And then that is that the, the, then they start getting the information that they want. Cause I think at a certain point, the whole thing with Anderson is Ward is Ward wants to do it by the book. Anderson's like, we can't really do it that way. And then Ward ultimately crumbles and is like, whatever we got to do, like whatever it is. Um, and so they start getting more and more intense. They uh, set up one of the, um, clan members that were well they get they get all the people they, that they think up. they think everybody that they think is involved they get them to meet uh and they're kind of tapped the church and then they zero in on the one that they think is most likely to break and they start like working him they set him up to think that he's about to get lynched himself uh yeah and i think previously somebody literally does get lynched in the scene before it's not eddie winslow's dad but it's another nah. i think it's his grandfather kids that, uh yeah yeah it's another member of the community where they just burn the shit out of their house and then lynch uh, uh, him also and... like one of the most graphic movie lynchings i've yeah. and i've seen quite a few i mean i've honestly in this year i've seen the worst one i feel in the underground like, railroad yeah oh yeah, yeah that's i never need to see that again nope. but this was probably number three or four yeah. on the list this is um but at that like you know they they start getting the information that they need and they still can't find the bodies though right so they've got people basically confessing or were turning on each other or admitting to you know a crime but again without the bodies they really don't have what they need to pull the case together and so ultimately Frances mcdormand breaks down you know anderson's been working her i think this is after her husband no, because then he comes and beats her after this. But he, he, like, she finally admits that she knows where the bodies are. You know, she tells them exactly where to find them. Uh, they go dig them up. And that's basically it, right? Like, they've, they, they've got the whole case put together. Um, and more or less everybody goes down except for the sheriff, right? Uh, everybody involved gets a couple of years. Um, and then the mayor hangs himself. You know, yes, uh, yes. Everybody gets like five to like, the max is ten. The yeah. minimum's five. Most pe- yeah. people go away for seven. And I think I think the thing was they couldn't they weren't charging them with murder, but they were charging them right. with civil rights violations. Right. Um, and the movie ends just at one of the burned down churches where somebody told these white children that they could come and sing <laughs> gospel hymns alongside the black members of the community. I guess in a in a show of solidarity, they all come together with Ward and Anderson, literally driving off into the sunset. Literally, um, <laughs> actually, and, and literally, <laughs> that's Mississippi. For I guess Anderson like leaves Francis McDermott. He's just like she's like I'm going to stay here because this is where I live, and he's like bet, <laughs> bet picking cool. up your life. <laughs> cool fam. Uh, that's the movie though, and really wow. I mean like. You really could have subtitled this Mississippi Burn and we on these niggas next. Like they can't <laughs> <laughs> they can't live <laughs> the, for a the, minute. <laughs> the movie could literally best be summed up in the face of the black woman who is watching the first 
civil rights trial against these guys. Because mm-hmm. um, they keep cutting to they keep cutting to Anderson and Ward, and they keep cutting yeah. to the sheriff who is on trial, or not the sheriff, the deputy who's on trial. Yeah, and obviously the deputy and uh, his homeboys get off the, get off the court the case. Mm. You know, the judge is like, <laughs> yeah, wink, wink, a nudge, nudge. I'm, yeah, I'll see you after for drinks. And literally, they keep cutting this black woman with a fan whose face stays exactly the same mm-hmm. every time they cut to her. Just sheer disappointment. And then sheer... just gets up and walks out. And, like... and literally just gets up and walks out like, no, I ain't do shit. Yeah. I hope you, I hope you know you ain't do shit. Yeah. <laughs> but and then well, think... when, in the beginning of that trial, when they get off, the judge mm-hmm. blames it on the FBI president. Outside yes. interference, the, pro- the like, provocation yeah. of the FBI for presence. Yeah, listen, I understand why you would do this. Yeah, it makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess before we go any further, we just yeah, let's get it out of the way. We talking. <laughs> let's let's talk about a lot of things, and I think this fucking movie. First and foremost, I mean, we're getting into this more and more directly in the research portion of it, but like. The number one criticism that this movie has received literally since it came out was this is a movie about civil rights, specifically, you know, the murder of civil rights activists and, you know, the whole fallout of that situation told through the perspective of not just two white people, but two white FBI agents who are the (laughs) heroes of a civil rights story who do, you know, like unflinching never really any doubt you know that they're the good guys you know that they're doing the right thing and yet i think that the two black people who get the most screen time and dialogue are uh eddie winslow yeah and his job is basically just exposition and to like get kicked in the face and to like look <laughs> sad when that guy gets lynched like that's he's, he's like his... pss, pss, i got information over here. <laughs> <laughs> uh there's the 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 pastor who does the eulogy who i is uh who's my man my man frankie Fazon. frankie Fazon, who we even though he didn't really do that much he's still gonna he get he didn't but he he is a legend he is yeah. a legend no he's he's one of those black people that you're just like i know that guy you know whether it, you know yeah. his name or not <laughs> He's yeah. been in so many movies. He's from The Wire. He's from uh, Do the Right Thing. Do the Right Thing. Like a couple, like you know, if you see his face immediately, you're just like that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so he gets to eulogize the one black <laughs> person who was murdered in the <laughs> in the car, um, and then the FBI agent who gives a monologue about castrating that the mayor. Those are the people. Who oh get, yeah. Those are the black people who get to talk the most. My man got one scene, and that was like, I mean, how do you even approach that scene knowing that you're not in the rest of the movie at all? He kind of stole that movie, honestly. He he literally (laughs) did, because I was shocked. I was like, what? He's scary, man. Apropos, it came out of nowhere. Like, Like, there was no prompting for it. All Mm -hmm. of a sudden, you're just watching him give this monologue about castrating this dude, and then he gets on the plane and leaves. And he's mad too. He's got like iced tea. I want to shoot you so bad. My dick yeah. is hard energy. Like he's right. he's scary. So besides those three, I don't think any other black people talk. I think maybe maybe no. there's the one. It's a very strange plot line that I don't understand. But apparently, Frances McDormand is kind of the Negro whisperer of the town because she's the <laughs> only one. 
who's talking to black people at all. Like she's talking to that one black woman with the baby, and I'm like, is that your neighbor or like the mate? Like who is that? I don't know who that was. Because then she just takes the baby and walks away. But like, yeah, because it's like, is it your maid? Yeah, but even in the sense of like, we have all these cutaways, right? To and I'll give the casting department a lot of credit. They triggered my fight or flight response very sharply every time they went to those cutaways of those white people just doing like the newsreel interviews. Oh my god! Where I was just like, this, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like what's <laughs> happening here. And apparently, those were real people that uh they had just ad lib kind of so like some of that may have been like speak from your heart yeah feeling like not just speak from your heart child you know um we don't let the camera go even in that they don't talk to any black people you know what i mean so can i can i tell you that was my first problem with this movie uh legit like sight unseen i had literally was just like all right we're watching mississippi burning this week okay let me look at the cast mississippi burning gene hackman Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. white man, 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 white man. Whoa, 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 whoa. This is a movie about civil rights? <laughs> yep. For real. Well, so that's that's the thing, though. Like, we'll get into what the perceived reasoning was from, you know, the cast and the crew. But, like... Is it a movie about civil rights? That's what I meant, goes. That's what I was going to ask. Like, what... what is it a movie about civil really rights? About? I think it's about a crime. Yes. So you're treating this as a procedural. Yeah, I mean, it, with, with not about some heavy rights, themes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not about civil rights. But it's strange because this movie has it's so many movie. scenes. Yeah, but but it has so many scenes that like pertain specifically to like the perceived black uh, right. response to this. Like you know, mm-hmm. there's uh, those women in the pews of the courthouse mm-hmm. there's every terrified face that you see running from a burning church mm-hmm. there's black people kind of like on the periphery of this movie throughout however it's you're like you say it's not really a movie about civil rights or about those opinions however mm-hmm. it's placed within that setting so i right. i feel like it owes itself well, to do that <laughs> I think I think this is what happens when you get some liberal white guy from London trying to make a movie about civil rights. They end up making like a really good version of Law and Order. I mean, that's <laughs> what you get. <laughs> well, because like take away all the real life implications again, mm-hmm. right? Of mm-hmm. the literal FBI, Jagger Hoover's FBI. <laughs> I mean, going yeah, get it straight. I get mean, it straight. To investigate that. these murders. <laughs> but like the, the two main characters, right? Warden Anderson, like it, it, at a certain point, very early on, it seems like it, it doesn't really matter about the black people anymore. It's just like the, you, you are, blatantly waving this in my face i know that something happened here i know you did something and now you're fucking with me and the fbi and i don't like that so like it did anything could have happened right it could have been a car theft ring it could have been it doesn't like black people were just the incidental like you know aspect of this but it wasn't necessarily that that was the driving provocation and you get certain callbacks to it like gene hackman has a speech about how his dad was racist and like what that 
meant to him. And uh, Francis <laughs> McDormand has a speech about how, you know, like, you know, what about the good white people and, uh, you know, all this stuff near the end. And like all of that, I think is supposed to like harken back. And then I think, you know, Ward has something like when the, when the mayor hangs himself and, you know, it's, it's something along the lines of like, well, I guess we got all of them. And he's like, you know, I don't know. Cause you know, like they're still, you're like, even even we are complicit oh. in, you know, the things that are happening here. Oh, right? my God. Right. Uh, That's right. the wackest line in the whole movie. Sorry. Yeah. It's because it's, it's only there to, uh, what's the word, absolve, like, right. white guilt. Exactly. Yeah. Right? It, that, that line is literally there. It's like, it's almost a footnote in the script, feels like. Yeah. You know, like, I'm writing the script. I wrote this whole movie. And I was like, oh, I forgot to make sure we don't feel guilty about this. You know? <laughs> but it's, like, it's, and then he says it so quickly, so throw, throw it away. Yeah. It's it's a really, because what you're talking about, J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. It's a fine yeah. line because he's like, he wasn't implicated in this crime and he hung, hung, he hung them, hanged himself. Yeah. Um, and it's like, well, he's all guilty if you turn the blind eye. And it's yeah. like, yeah, but you're in J. Edgar Hoover's FBI. You're turning the blind <laughs> eye every day. You wake up and put a badge on. That's what you do. Yeah, you're you're concerned about this crime, but like J. Edgar Hoover is harassing civil rights leaders every single day. He's killing them. Killing them. He's yeah, literally. <laughs> well, he's not, killing, killing, he's not making them. sure he can find ways to murder them. <laughs> yeah, he's not killing them every day. That's every couple of months. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, he's he's scheming on killing yeah. him every yeah. day. Yeah. He don't accomplish it every day, but he's scheming. Yes. yes, and that's the thing. It's just like so. Your your proposition in the FBI as these mm-hmm. the only the only people who can make this situation right. Right, they're coming in, and like part of the real life history behind this particular case is that the FBI you know, comes in and it is similar situation. They are met with resistance by the police and the Klan and all this stuff. But it's famously a case where like the FBI who like LBJ is on Hoover's neck about this because he's like, this shit's making me look bad. So you need to solve this real quick. And Hoover's like, well, you know, if you're, is that you giving me the green light to do whatever, (laughs) you know? And so they, they turn up, they go in there and they really just start like, Tor- like literally like torturing people or like kidnapping people or like disappearing people or like doing what like whatever they got to do and they're doing it to the clan so people are kind of like mm, all right yeah yeah i, <laughs> but I got like <laughs> i got two questions for you um i guess the first one here is how did you feel about in the third act of this movie the fbi doing all this bad policing um really awful policing like getting the the yeah <laughs> the ra- the razor blade dude coming out of town yeah. um, and just beating on people and god they were intimidating witnesses and all that stuff they, they like, literally like the one dude they but it was the clan yeah they <laughs> set but, but what they set dude up and like it's a really strange scene the, the way that it plays out because they bring him out and like the the clan has kidnapped you know this informant mm-hmm. And they're going to, like, hang them and string them up. And then, like, the hero FBI rolls up and, like, start chasing these guys out. Um, and you're watching them run for, like, a long time. And you're like, why, A, why have you not shot them yet? Yeah, exactly. B, like, what, <laughs> what is happening? And then it turns out that they're they're all just part of the FBI. It was a whole ruse and setup, you know, to get this guy to, to confess and give him, you know, 
immunity or whatever. But it's like so wild that like they go through all that effort to do that for that one guy. And yet the black dude who they watch walk out of the police station, walk down the road, know that the clan is coming to get him. And they and they have to wait. They can't they can't jump on it too soon because they they gotta you know. And then uh you know he nearly gets murdered because they waited so long. And then they and then they don't even like protect him afterwards. That you know was I mean? the exact example I was gonna bring up. Yeah, <laughs> because, because it's like sometimes people put stuff in movies like that so you can draw the comparison literally yeah. from scene to scene. Um. But here, that thing happens in, like, the middle of the second act, or it happens yeah. kind of, like, right in the middle of the movie, and then they do the exact same, like, fuck shit, <laughs> like, or, like, or they do the exact opposite, they just, like, run after him forever, Yeah, and eventually get him. But I wonder if it is intentional, you know? Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's, like, the screenwriter or the director is actually, like, trying to draw the comparison, because that's what black people see you know black people can see that every day we can see yeah. injustices like that just like walking down the street because we know how we're treated right, right. but this director is a, a british man so he don't know yeah. he doesn't know shit sorry yeah. alan parker is steam yeah. director you don't know shit about the black experience yeah. <laughs> um so i don't know if it's lost on him or if it's definitely lost on the movie whether or not these two scenes are in there and or at least the policing is done in that yeah. manner. Well, I mean, you can definitely tell, you know, whether it's the clan or the FBI that they're both. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like gang warfare at a certain point. Yeah, right? they, like it's just, yeah. just like right. what, what and black people are just kind of caught in the middle. So it's just like we're going to do yes. whatever we got to do yes. to get you. And, and it's I mean, it's interesting now, you know, more so than ever to look at policing and film and television. Um, because even like, remember when they were like, Hey, I don't know if we can do law and order anymore. And then now in 2022, they're like, guess what? Law and order is back with the original cast. Like we're bringing everybody <laughs> back. Don't even worry about it. You know, um, it's all gravy, baby. Yeah. We're going back even harder. Yeah. So like, you know, this Doubling is supposed down. to be, this is supposed to be extreme, right? Like the, the methods that they're going to, you know, again, yeah. ward, explicitly says any means necessary we'll do it your way is what he says to anderson he's kind of like the the more loose you know with the rules kind of agent and so like you see them doing all these things and it's again shown to be like fruitful you know what i mean like it's not like violence for violence sake like they're actually getting results like it's no it's altruism yeah Yeah. it it comes off as like actually good policing like they're actually that is that is what cops do all the time yeah. to black people. And they, <laughs> they get their results. Um, well, and that's the thing, too. So, I mean, but then just, white people really are like... Jarring... Well, I think that's for... And it's for white people, too. Because white people are just like, oh, what? You know, and I can't <laughs> believe they would. And black people are like, every day, oh, yeah. dog. Like, all the time. <laughs> like, no, black not... people look like that woman in the in the courthouse pews. Like, yeah. So, yeah, I think... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think the, that those those scenes at the end of the movie with the cops uh, doing their bad policing, I guess you would say for good, are just really jarring um, because it's we're supposed to we're supposed to be rooting for them mm-hmm. to break the law the way they do and break people's 
civil rights and it's like yeah it's the clan i don't get to break their civil rights but like <laughs> it's hard to watch break that. their faces <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to watch that go unchecked because if they're going to do this to the clan you can only imagine what these mm. same characters in the world of this movie are doing to black and brown people yeah i mean you Every only day. can imagine what time of means they're using to justify that so i just thought that those scenes were really a real mindfuck. But that's yeah. the that's the justification. That's the like the whole thesis statement that this whole movie like sits on, right? Is that okay? So the clan did a terrible thing, but the FBI came in here and you know they tried to go about it the right way, but mm -hmm. they were just forced to get down and dirty just like them. Yeah. And this same story, like you said earlier, takes place with black people caught in the middle as like the backdrop to this story about white altruism right mm -hmm. so I, I i just when i watch it i i mean you ask how we felt and i'm i'm almost convinced to say i don't feel anything because this is not for me and what mm -hmm. it thinks it's doing for me is you, 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 <laughs> what you you <laughs> Catch it up. Six guys who like to say the N word and burn some crosses. Meanwhile, there's a movement of these people. So your your little dinky like sending Gene Hackman and Willem Dafoe to a small small town and kidnapping like six guys who was already doing already doing racist shit in the racist ass swamp. Like this this story almost like feels moot. You know, the story feels moot and like the idea of like get it getting you know, momentum behind it to produce it as a film feels like wasted energy because yeah. there, there are other movies that have all like, it's what this movie came out in 1988. There are already movies that have already, already talked about this issue and probably done a better and have done a better job. Well, it's, it's interesting too, because like in, in situations like this, so, you know, looking at the other, parts of the trilogy that we've watched right like <laughs> yeah. uh, ghost of mississippi is about justice right like you yes. you're, you're you really want them to get de la beckwith right like he's he's yeah. so bad and so evil and like ooh, how how are they going to get the information they need to bring him down right like mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know megger ever's death is kind of like the part of that i guess it, but like <laughs> in that story you though. know but you're really just like just you know justice you know yeah. Uh, a time to kill also is like justice, right? Like, ooh, you know, like, but what do, what do they do to his his daughter? Like, that's such an evil, heinous act to do. You know, like maybe I would have gunned down those people too. Like, I can you know sympathize with Samuel Jackson and like, is he gonna get his justice? Right. The justice in this movie is very much so lost in the constant. Mm ass whooping that black people take <laughs> on a regular basis because it's like you're you're watching you know this violence happen regularly like not even like sporadically and not even to like faces that you recognize right that's i mean that's almost the jarring part about it it's like yes eddie winslow gets kicked in the face after he's he's praying while he's praying after the claim, while he's you know. praying while he's praying <laughs> uh you know he's like the the clan has come to this church service everybody's coming out the congregation's coming out they just start beating the shit out of anybody who walks out eddie winslow falls to his knees and prays while a gospel song is playing over top of it and then like 
somebody gives him like the big boss man boot and he's like out cold, you know what I mean? And then like, that's, but that's like one instance of like, Ooh, wow. Like how terrible it is. But then we're just showing all this other thoughtless, callous violence against black people again. in like montage imagery, you know what I mean? Just like back to back to back, nameless, faceless black people being terrorized. And it feels like, the justice for the civil rights activists, you're just like, yes, I want that. But also, like, shit's happening right now. <laughs> like, the FBI is here, and like, they, and this is happening is. almost because of them, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not like they, the are, pro- they are provoking it. It's but, not I like mean, Claire needs an excuse yeah. to do whatever. Right, right, right. Like, right we're going right, to yeah. do whatever. Yes, yes. But, like, it, it very much so is, you know, like them taking that provocation as you know extended license to do you know all these things and like as the fbi they just kind of seem like well that's the cost of doing business like if if we want to catch these guys (laughs) you know i guess some black people gotta get lynched along the way you know what i mean but it's like you this 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 is not concerning to you as well like they don't really seem to be yeah like torn up with the violence that's happening in the city that like at a, at a reckless and alarming rate, they seem to be really just concerned with those six individuals and bringing them down and like not even really for the murders anymore at a certain point, but just on principle, just because you didn't cooperate yeah. initially. At some point, now... at some point it just, I think it starts to just kind of be, it starts, they start to just want to win. Yeah, I think that's what it just becomes about just winning. I think not so about too. any type sort of justice. They just want to win, especially because like those clan clan people um, are real scumbags. So <laughs> really, Michael, Rook- really Michael Rooker is, is eating. Yeah. He's eating this role. Yeah. He's like, look, <laughs> yeah, he was chewing on it like a rib, chewing on it like a <laughs> rack of ribs. Man, he's like, mm, nom, nom, nom. at some point, <laughs> and then also one of the inciting incidents is. Um, Francis McDormand getting beat and brutalized by her husband. Yeah. That's really what starts to turn things up. Yeah. Um, the white woman getting hurt. <laughs> yeah. That is what what's that that is what makes the the FBI start to you know do their whole bad policing bit. Well, well Anderson's well, that's what makes Gene Hackman. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Gene Hackman. Well, first off, it's like... what makes uh, Gene Hackman's PP go to doing 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 in the in the words of the poet Eminem. <laughs> but um, can we talk it, about the white love story? Another white love story in the middle yeah, of this movie about fuck? civil rights. That's just a See, very this, strange. This is one of the th- parts of the movie right that I think is just um, really awful and makes yeah. no sense. It's not needed. Yeah. It's not needed at all. And I think it's. Um, and I bring up the British dude. I think it's a really weird thing for that director to do because it's such an Americanized version of a story. I think if you put this movie in a number of other countries in like Germany or France mm-hmm. or Mexico, um, I think you'd have a really different film. But I think America, I think Hollywood thinks that filmgoers are really stupid. Maybe most filmgoers are. Mm-hmm. But... <laughs> But I mean, the, I don't. It's so the, the romance in this movie is so unnecessary. There's no real payoff in the end. No. There's not like they get married or anything. Um, I think, and I think it's so weird. It's just it's like why couldn't he question her as just the wife of the deputy right. rather than try to like 
sweet talker buy some flower or pick some posies for her <laughs> and then hopefully get some information from that because then it makes it seem like his you know not by the book method is to mm-hmm. you know gussy up to win or like you know yeah. to shoulder up next to women and, and see if he can get information that way and that coercive in some some way yeah, yeah that's coercion that is coercion <laughs> yeah. and and it's also like the worst way to go about it and it's painted as like something from the heart right yeah it, in this movie it's painted as a move from the heart mm-hmm like he was hoping to save her. Or yeah, hoping it's to like to be like these yeah. two these two people, you know, who come from you know the the unfortunate circumstance of being white in the south, I guess, <laughs> because they like but talk about like her. <laughs> <laughs> because you know he talks about Frances McDermott. It's just like you know she's just one of those women who like married the first guy from high school who made her yeah. laugh, and now she's stuck in this place and she can never leave. And like, you know, like I, I know how, how, however many of these women and like part, part of it feels like you're saying like predatory almost. And like, Oh, yeah. I know what this is. I know yeah. that you're sad and you're neglected. And like, you, you really wish you could get out of this marriage. And so I will present something to you along the lines of like, here's a possibility, you know, maybe, maybe this FBI guy comes along and like, you know, mm-hmm. we either, even if it's not even like you leave your husband for me, like even we just have a, we have an affair while I'm in town. Like, mm-hmm. you know, here's, here's mm-hmm. something to spice this <laughs> life of yours up. You know what I mean? <laughs> but then it's also painted as like Gene Hackman is, is a sad kind of lonely guy who wishes he had, you know, he talks about being divorced a couple of times and like, you know, living, living on the road and, and never really having, you know, that, that settled down life. And so it's almost presented as a as a what if you know like ooh like we're 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 both yeah yeah absolutely projecting this like idealized you know if if I could just get out of this FBI job and you could just you know leave your <laughs> husband like we could go See, I, and be happy run away and together have, like you know what I mean but it's just like but people are dying <laughs> black people <laughs> are being hanged <laughs> right no 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 it's like this plot gets this this plot in the movie gets like five six scenes meanwhile like the Yo. burnings of the church the actual <laughs> burning that they're talking about in the damn title gets reflected to like a gruesome gruesome scene and a montage yes like i mean this this romance is written so poorly i i don't e- i can't really i don't understand Gene Hackman's character's motivation. I don't know if he just needs the only good police, the horny police, to come get <laughs> him. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if he's being coercive. I I just, it's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I just don't know his real motivations. Well, and all of it makes sense, sense to all it made sense to the Academy because Frances McDormand got an Oscar nomination, nomination. for Best Supporting Actress for <laughs> her role. She's good. She's, like she's, she's okay. a good actress. She's, She's okay. a good actress in general. Yeah, okay. but this is like um, um, when we watched Meryl Streep in Music of the Heart, where you're just like, oh, that's just Meryl Streep. Like oh, She's just right. doing she Meryl Streep role. things. You know? So I'm Francis looking here. She got nominated. Um, I'm trying to see who won. Um, 1988, Gina Davis. Yeah. yeah. Accidental Taurus. Um, yeah, I don't know. She was all right. <laughs> yeah, well, she's not really. She doesn't do anything. You know what I mean? Like her character kind of right. just is a literally there to give information, but then also like 
have just give Gene Hackman a subplot, really. You know what I mean? Because like if she's not in the movie, somebody else could give the information. I mean, that's the other part of this that we're not getting into as explicitly right now. But all this shit is made up, right? Like the like yeah. her character is based on the wife of you know one of the police officers, but she wasn't really she like, wasn't a snitch. The real woman. She wasn't a snitch. <laughs> and she wasn't, yeah, she didn't really have any implications on the actual case. She just was a real person who happened to exist. Whereas in yeah. this movie, like they seemingly made sure that Frances McDermott was the one to give the information to really just justify her existence in the film. Like if she doesn't, so, yeah. if she's not the one who who tells them where the bodies are, then it is just a very strange like diversion within this whole, yeah. you know, larger police investigation. Right, because the romance doesn't pay off. The, At all. This, this relationship doesn't pay off romantically. It pays no. off in the form of information. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which is supposed to be, at this point in the script, it's supposed to be like the uh, the unwitting place where that information comes yeah. from. Yeah, I don't know if y'all caught this, but none of the young women in this film are portrayed to be racist. No, They're yeah. not portrayed to be co-conspirators. They're docile, good-natured, good-hearted people. Mm -hmm. yeah. Which I think is, I don't know if it's intentional, but it's intentional. It might be a subconscious act. <laughs> it, it could be completely intentional, but at the very very best, it's a subconscious act to, to paint these women as not as co-conspirators as they yeah. often really were. In history. Oh, yeah. Well, because Gene Hackman walks into the salon and they're just like, isn't it awful? What's happening? Yeah. <laughs> and, this is, and it's just like, <laughs> you want huh? like, or lemonade? You know what I mean? It's just like, did you walk into another time? <laughs> did you time travel? <laughs> it's like, that's the thing. I mean, that's even because that's even Frances McDormand's speech where she's just like, you know, I'm not the only one who's tired of the violence and I'm not the only one who's mm -hmm. tired of like all the things yeah. going on here, but it's like, but you don't do anything, right? You, know you don't do anything. And the other people who aren't tired, who are tired, don't do anything. Yeah. So it's like, the FBI could you... barely do shit when they were here. <laughs> <laughs> so even if that is true, if that is the case that, you know, you, you are part of some strange silent majority in this town who just, watches black churches get burned on a semi-regular basis like you're not a good person yeah. you know I mean? right. <laughs> like you can't no, come away from that feeling like oh well you know if only i could do something and it's like you you could do a lot of things you know what I mean? <laughs> but you you choose to not do anything and just silently commiserate about it or you know talk to the, I could I, I don't know who that black woman was. I she was on your porch, and then left, and I never saw her again unless she got beat in the church at some point. And I just, <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> but like it's 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 that level of just like you know there there needs to there always needs to be a good one right in these movies. There always needs to be somebody Absolutely. who is like yeah. ooh I we talk about it all the time. White people watch these movies. It's like I'm I'm Francis McDormand. You know what I mean? I'm the good yep. one. Yep who feels bad about what's happening to the black people in town. And then I'm Eddie Winslow. I don't know. Like, who do I get to be as the black person? <laughs> black person? Oh, like, I'm the yeah, FBI that's... dude who came in the plane. That's me. <laughs> <laughs> that's who I'm going to be. 
It's like that's, man, that's the game yeah. we get to play. That's the game we get to play. The wheel we get to spin. Who who are you supposed to be in this yeah. movie for white people about civil rights? <laughs> I'm Detective Razorblade. Detective Razorblade. That's what I'm about. You going? You going to take the, the, the Detective Razorblade? Yeah, yeah. Give me a Detective Razorblade spinoff. Uh, he gets shit done. Absolutely. That's that. I'll tell you that. Um, well, let's yeah, let's get a little bit into the behind the scenes of these this movie because there is a lot to get into, and I want to make sure that we have time to talk about. The comments made by <laughs> both uh, Alan Parker and from Chris uh, Garomo about this movie because it comes out in 1988 and like it's a it's a strange trajectory where like at once upon release it is lauded and people loved it um, like you know at the world they had a, a world premiere at the Uptown Theater in, in DC in 1988. And there was just a lot of like politicians and ambassadors and people in attendance. Ted Kennedy loved the film, saying that the this movie will educate millions of Americans too young to recall the sad events of that summer and what Isn't life was buried? like in the yeah, country. Yeah, we buried that guy, right? He's buried. Uh, yeah. right? <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, a lot of people, you know, came out in support of it initially. You know, before the release, um, we also failed to mention that this is an Orion Pictures. <laughs> film which i found strange because i was like they had that kind of money you know what i mean like normally those are that's masters of the universe for those who don't know that's, that's <laughs> the, the people who did that movie i like uh, that that's that's the one that's the one you yeah, were like yeah, well, it's like a bunch of like chuck norris films and other things i mean they were not known for oscar quality films like they whoa, were basically whoa, whoa 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 they made amadeus Okay. And they had got Amadeus and oh oh and fellow offender on this podcast dances with wolves. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Oof. That's that's two best picture winners, yeah. bruh. Well, <laughs> they this movie had a budget of 15 million. Mm. Uh box office for it was 34 million. Uh so a success, you know, it wasn't like a smash hit, you know, in that sense, but like definitely made its money back and then some. But so it does it does get several nominations right like it gets yeah best picture best director best actor best supporting actress best cinematography best film editing and best sound can but can we talk about what it won for peter peter bizzo the cinematographer wins for best cinematography insane by the way i don't want to spend too much time on this because it's not pertinent to what we're talking about sure but no (laughs) This movie does not win for best cinematography in any universe. What is that? The other nominations uh-huh. are Rain Man, Tequila Sunrise, The Unbearable Lightness of Being, and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And Who Framed like, Roger Rabbit cinematography yeah. is in this goddamn category. I was like, you should have given it to Roger Rabbit. Though. That's, right. That's Roger Ross. That's Roger, yeah. Roger Rabbit, like, w- by a mile. For sure. You're literally creating new techniques. <laughs> yeah. They created new <laughs> techniques to shoot the movie. <laughs> I will I will say of the nominations, I, I Gene Hackman, sure, right? Like I could see that. Gene Hackman is acting in this movie. He's giving you Gene Hackman, he's going in, he's doing anything. Yeah. He's you giving know. the best performance in the movie, I would definitely yeah, say. Yeah, because like again, it's strange to see William Defoe in this role because he's it's not even that he's not doing William Defoe things, but he's not there's a period of the movie where he just disappears. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I was just I, in my notes, I was like, "Is William Defoe in this movie?" <laughs> like, Did he stay back? Did he walk in? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
because yeah, he's kind of he's really only there to say no. We're gonna do it this yeah. way. We have to do bureau procedure. We can't, you know, or somebody will say something outlandish, and he'll be like, "That's a that's outrageous," you know. But like, <laughs> you know, well, I learned really... in the academy. That's what he. But and then and then he has the small turn where he's like, "All right, fine, we'll do it. We'll do it." However, gets the job done. Uh, but then almost immediately, two scenes later, he's like, we can't use any of this evidence. Why would you do that? And it's like, you told me to do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was the choice you gave me. This movie, I think it's I think it's good. Um, I don't think I think it's worthy of some nominations, but for it to win any category it would have been nominated in or was nominated in is kind of outrageous. Um, yeah, to me, I think it's kind luckily, of. Just, <laughs> it's, I was going to say, luckily, kind of it's, it's not nominated for an NWACP award, which often <laughs> these films are. Hey, uh, Aquafina you know has an NWACP. Somebody had fun coming up with that acronym. So they 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 probably <laughs> workshopped that a couple times. Uh, <laughs> but this movie comes out. It it does get a lot of praise from critics. Um, our boy Roger Ebert called it the best civil rights film he'd ever seen. Uh, like you know, people are are throwing out the hyperbole, but at the same time, uh, it's not all love, right? So, Time Magazine has an infamous cover for this film, uh, and there's a review in there called "Just Another Mississippi Whitewash." Uh, where it's described as the, the cinematic lynching of the truth, right? Uh, you've got a couple other people who are who are coming for this movie, specifically uh, one, Coretta Scott King, who like was really not down for really any of this. She's the bitch um, wasn't funny, as some yeah. people like to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, her quote is, is, how long will we have to wait before Hollywood finds the courage and the integrity to tell the stories of some of the many thousands of black men, women, and children who put their lives on the line for equality, which is a fair statement, right? I cast no judgment in Spurgeon's Morley Evers is a saint. She does give the go ahead to make Ghost of Mississippi not that long after this movie comes out. Um, but she had to say that it was unfortunate that it was so narrow in scope and that it did not show one black role model that today's youth who can look at and from the movie and could remember, right? I disagree um, with her. Because Detective Razor Blade, man. Razor Blade. <laughs> Razor Blade. Shout out Detective Razor Blade. Um, there's a lot. So there's a lot of different things. I can't find this clip. I was dying to watch it because it seemed like just one of those things that like you know there's because in the 80s it wasn't even that right because there's a lot of stuff from like the 60s and the 70s where like they literally would just tape over it and so you'll never see it because they just Mm -hmm. didn't think anybody would ever want to watch james baldwin and like four other you know luminaries have a conversation ever again like if you if you didn't see it in 1963 like that's a wrap so this this was from nightline uh in 1989 uh, but Julian Bond, who's a social activist and a leader of the civil rights movement, went in on the movie. And like Gene Hackman apparently was there trying to defend it, but he was just getting run over. Uh, mm-hmm. Julian Bond describes the movie as Rambo meets the Klan. Uh, and, <laughs> That's Django Unchained. Uh, yeah, you know, like. <laughs> but the the real pertinent thing is, I mean, he was really upset about the FBI 
aspect mm. of it. And so oh, yeah. people are going to have a mistaken identity, mistaken idea about that time. It's just wrong. These guys were tapping our telephones, not looking into the murders of Goodman, Cheney, and Schwerner. Right. Okay. And you so, Bond? Yeah. You know, real shit. Yeah. You know, so there was a lot of pushback, right? Are you ready to hear what? <laughs> the creators of this film, Alan Parker and Chris Gromo, had to say about this movie. Um, I'm buckled up. Let's go. <laughs> let's go to the notes, baby, because the, the beautiful chef's kiss about what I'm about to read you. Right, this happens time and time again. I do not understand. I don't get it. These are not interviews or gotcha questions or like things that happened a long time ago these are things that they themselves wrote and then put on the internet willingly of their own volition uh and had these things to say so chris Gromo <laughs> wrote the huffington post op-ed it wasn't recent recent but it was like Looking back, I think, you know, around the time of either like Ferguson or something like, you know, certain things were happening in the country. And so <laughs> he says, just in terms of like his inspiration for writing the film, that I felt as I was doing so that I was honoring the legacy of people like my mother who marched from Selma to Montgomery with Dr. Martin Luther King. I remember my dad seeing her off to the march at the door to our apartment with a peanut butter jar full of martini and a box full of band-aids. He told her, don't get hurt. And that was 1965 and I was 12 years old. All right. So it's another, you know, at this point, I'm just like, if we could go back in time, just tell white people you, you cannot march. We cannot, because 30 years from now, your son is going to use that as an excuse as to why they are not racist. My mother marched with Martin Luther King Jr. And again, it's this thing of just like... Why didn't he write a movie about a march? Right. <laughs> I feel like I feel like when people use that excuse, like Dr. King himself gave them a little card that said, "You march with me, buddy." You remember? Yeah. <laughs> You're not racist. Like, that absolves you and your entire family all the way down the line from saying that after the march, see Dr. King to get your stamp. Don't forget to get your card stamp. Don't forget to get your stamp. <laughs> And your I'm not a racist passport. Because it's like five, and you can eat It's you can sit in the bag with us. It's crazy that like people make those kinds of statements as if like there weren't thousands of people there. Right. Like people yeah. did. Like people yeah. did do that. Like that's not you know what I mean. Like marching with Dr. King. How many marches did he have? There's there like wasn't three. It wasn't like. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so many people can say they did that. You know what I mean? And it's not to say that that's like nothing, and you you know weren't sympathetic or anything like that. But like that sole act as a like the one thing that you did to contribute to the civil rights movement, like. That, but that it's not the even them. It's their yeah. parents. And it's, it's not it's even their, you. It's their parents getting cardio. They're not even putting yes. in the work. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So he goes on to say, in 1989, I was 35. Um, and my movie had just come out to great fanfare. And four days later, Coretta Scott King, widow of Martin, wrote an editorial for the LA Times attacking it for being inaccurate because it centers on the trials and tribulations of white people and thus reduces real-life black heroes to bit players in their old drama. Ouch. 
the movie does does center on white people, of course. It's about the FBI and the Ku Klux Klan, but the charge of being inaccurate was tough to swallow. Given the latitude generally granted movies that were only based on real events, I thought I'd managed to stick pretty close to the facts. The other thing that was tough to swallow was that Coretta Scott King hadn't seen the movie. She wasn't exactly forthright about it, but she was careful to make it clear. She started by saying that the movie hasn't opened here in the heart of the South as of this writing and went on to couch everything she said in terms like reportedly and by all accounts. She also put her most serious attacks in the mouths of some critics. When I read her article more carefully, I realized that she didn't actually mean we were inaccurate in telling the story we were telling either. She meant that she thought we had picked the wrong story to tell. She meant that we should have had made a black movie about the civil rights movement, presumably one about her deceased husband, for instance, which is this one, which is to say one I would never have presumed to write and not a white one. Right. So here's this man talking about Coretta Scott King <laughs> saying that she doesn't have the right to criticize his movie because she didn't see it. Meanwhile, she fucking lived it <laughs> because she was there. <laughs> it's crazy to think that you would say, oh, man, can you really judge a film if you haven't seen it? When you she lived, she like people act like Coretta Scott King was like not even just at home, but was like. <laughs> She wasn't in the country, fam. Yeah, like, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, she, she, she had no standing, and she was there. She was there, like, not just like around or like, you know, raiding at the crib. Like, she was, she was organized. She was doing all the shit. Speaking her very self. Yes, that everybody else was doing. So, like, to say that you, you know what I mean? Like, can you imagine? somebody criticizing a holocaust survivor for their movie about concentration camps because they hadn't seen the movie listen you haven't seen schindler's list okay (laughs) (laughs) it's like watch it yeah but i because i lived through it i was there to to, i was literally in the place that you were making a movie about you know what i mean like are literally deluded in these senses like actually just not seeing the reality that we live in i This this isn't apples to apples, but I did today. Um, we are listening to this in twenty years or not. Uh, we've been going through a, a deluge of gun violence and mm-hmm. <laughs> in America. And a guy was I saw this guy interviewed on the street on Twitter, and he says, "Well, I don't know if you know, Mister Interviewer, sir, but hammers actually kill more people." Than guns. He said. And that's a true fact. You can look it up. And the interviewer was like, you know what? I got a phone right here. (laughs) And then read him the facts that, like, what? Hammer violence is, or blunt object slash hammer violence kills uh, around 800 people a year. As uh, handguns, handguns alone kill, what, 4,000 people a year? And then the next, like, four other ones are also just firearms and guns yeah one of them was like before we get to hammers it was like miscellaneous guns we just don't know what type of gun but it's a gun but it's no, a gun but he was like no 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 i meant like the hammer like that tool that's what <laughs> that, i meant like that's... that same thing <laughs> no, his response and, was, then, and then at the oh no you got it yeah go, go ahead go ahead you say because his response was well i like my second amendment right anyway <laughs> literally literally will We'll look at the facts. Have the facts be told to you 
in your face on camera. Yeah. So you know thousands of people, if not millions of people, are going to see it. And then you sit there in your dumb, wrong opinion. Yes. That's this guy. That's that's my well, boy here. That's Chris. Yeah. Cameron, keep in mind that I'm, I'm going to continue reading from this op-ed that he He's not done? <laughs> for the huffington post he did nobody coerced him into this he said these things because he felt these things as far as the charge of misrepresenting of the history of the civil rights movement by writing about white people who are involved in it is concerned well i'm afraid i never completely Uh. brought that one in the first place it's certainly fair to describe the civil rights movement as a black movement led by heroic black men and women many of whom gave their lives for the cause but it's also fair to say that one of the main reasons it worked was because of white people's reactions to it. White people all over the United States watched on television as peaceful black people linked arm in arm with their white supporters who are hosed down by wait, wait, vicious wait, wait, white cops with German shepherds. No, 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 chill, chill. He's not done. I need you to clarify. I need you to clarify me with something. When you said, when you said millions of white people watched on TV, that wasn't you. That was him speaking. You weren't talking like that was him you speaking. weren't being sarcastic. He said this that. is a first person op ed. He, <laughs> he wrote that. this in first person. This is <laughs> you, well, you these said are that. quotes. You these are these are bars, bro. Making fun of him. He asked that. No. Text, he wrote that down. This, and an editor. This is from an essay it. that he wrote for the Huffington Post. Oh. Yeah. He <laughs> goes on to say. <laughs> White people over these states watched on television as peaceful black people black people linked in arm in arm with their white supporters who were hosed down by vicious white cops with ger- with German shepherds, and they didn't like it. They didn't think that it should oh, happen like in America. It. They, like they it. still thought of their country, rightly or wrongly, as the land of the free. And when they saw officials in the South behaving like Nazis, they objected. And their objections empowered the federal government to move into Mississippi and other southern states and enforce our national standards and laws as opposed to the local standards and laws. And things began to change. And to that story, to that side of history, to my mother's side of it, we were utterly and impeccably faithful. Listen, let me let me tell you something. <laughs> Where you live at? Where you stay at? The shit I watched on TV and I objected it, and this is me objecting it. If it if it if it changed the world, the Cowboys would have fifteen Super Bowls by now. <laughs> <laughs> I objected, and it changed the world. No, I mean this is insane. My man didn't like it. He didn't like. He didn't like it. Cameron, <laughs> white people. Watched it at home and they didn't like it. <laughs> they, like, they don't like it. Jordan, they don't like it. And so everything changed. I object. And then it's, I object. Because I, I object to racism. It's Listen, over now. My guy, can I? Can I? Can I go back one time? Yeah, run that back to run this back. specific Flex. part. <laughs> it is yeah, we got to drop the flex bombs on this dumbass. It is certainly fair to describe the civil rights movement as a black movement led by heroic black men and women, many of whom gave their lives for the cause. But it's also fair to say that one of the main reasons it worked was because of white people's reactions to it. Basically saying that what y'all were doing was cool, but if it wasn't for white people, like y'all shit, wouldn't really got would have never popped off. You know what's you know what funny? I mean? So like, where's my credit? You know what's funny about this stupid fucking article? <laughs> exactly. She wrote a movie. A 
about two white dudes who were murdered because they did something. In his op-ed, he talked about people watching TV. He wrote a movie about people getting murdered, the white people getting murdered. Yeah. He's talking about TV. He's talking about people Look. who are actually doing something. He's talking about television. <laughs> it's insane. First, I mean, we gotta. This this is gonna be this is gonna be one of our rare double drops. But first of all, Ugh, you ugly as fuck. I don't know what's going on here. But that no. you know, you can't. I I can't even put it towards this. This is this is where my brain had to go to conceptualize what was happening here. I have to I have to get Tony Morrison on the phone. I have to bring Tony Morrison down. <laughs> Jesus. And I'm just going to play this clip, this immortal clip of her on Charlie Rose in its entirety, yes, because I yes. think it's the only way to fully process what we're reading here. Which brings me to my question to you. Do you still have that encounter? Do you, Tony Morrison, Pulitzer Prize winner, successful, honored in the halls of academe, mm. etc., still have that encounter? Yes, I do, Charlie. But let me tell you, that's the wrong question. Okay, what's the right question? How do you feel? Not you, Charlie Rose, right. but don't you understand that the people who do this thing, who practice racism, right. are bereft. There is something distorted about the psyche. It's a huge waste, and it's a corruption and a distortion. It's like it's a profound neurosis that nobody examines for what it is. It feels crazy. It is crazy. And it leaves it has just as much of a deleterious effect on white people and possibly equal as it does black people. I always knew that I had the moral high ground all my life. I always thought those people who said I couldn't come in the drugstore and I had to sit in this funny place, I couldn't you go felt in the park. Superior to them I from did. Day one. And I thought they knew that I knew that they were inferior to me morally. I always thought that. And my parents always thought that. You said your father was racist because he always felt like he was he always superior. Thought, that's right. He always felt superior. And that was a form, you know, of, of, defended, of defensive racism. But if, if the racist white person, I don't mean the person who is examining his consciousness and so on, doesn't understand that he or she is also a race, it's also constructed, it's also made, and it also has some kind of serviceability, but when you take it away, I take your race away. And there you are, all strung out. And all you got is your little self. And what is that? What are you without racism? Are you any good? Are you still strong? Are you still smart? you still like yourself? I mean, these are the questions. It's Part of it is, yes, the victim. How terrible it has been for black yeah, people. Like that. I'm not a victim. I refuse to be one. And the victim is the other person who is morally inferior, and that's who what, that's a has serious to hold question. on to. Of course, racism. If you to have to hold that's for a, his or her own self-esteem and definition. If you can only be tall, because somebody's on their knees, then you have a serious problem. And my feeling is, white people have a very, very serious problem, and they should start thinking about what they can do about it. Take me out of it then give white people some free advice. <laughs> They're all in my books. <laughs> it's in my books, baby. Just, I, yeah. She said, take your ass to Barnes and Noble. 
yeah. and leave me out advice. of it, motherfucker. <laughs> like I've 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 seen that clip at, at least five times, at least ten times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we should teach that clip in school because <laughs> it she in like three sentences debunks. Like so many myths about racism, and literally puts the button on it, saying that yes, if we took race out of it, what would you have? You would have nothing. You would have nothing. <laughs> oh, you would have nothing. And a, you're a, a you're a little self, an even bigger loser, bigger loser. Auntie Tony oh, out loser. here, bigger loser. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but but it's like this guy Chris. He literally creates a work that is dependent. On black people to have any type of worth, any type of worth, any type of note. And if it, that movie was devoid of race, literally this would just be like a regular murder trial, a yeah. regular episode of CSI, a regular episode of Law and Order. This would be a regular murder case because the hate and the vitriol and the evil and the, and the mental illness that she said is, that story oh, is devoid. Say, after that, it's devoid. It, it, after the op-ed, I can't. Oh yeah, go ahead. Go I ahead. can no longer fuck with this movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm not done. You're not. Well, I'm glad we brought you to the <laughs> other side, man. <laughs> no, there's more. But he goes on to say <laughs> after all of that that uh, <laughs> uh, again, and the and the last part of that sentence, right? I'll repeat it again, and. To that story, to that side of history, to my mother's side of it, we were utterly and impeccably faithful, right? So, like, no matter what you say, I told my mama's truth, and y'all can't tell me <laughs> shit about that, basically. Um, but he ends it with, anyway, when I think about Mississippi Burning these days, because he goes on, I mean, I didn't, I'm not going to read the whole thing verbatim, but he does kind of bitch about how Coretta Scott King cost him an Oscar, and uh like she, she how that, uh, wait 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 pause 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 because you're says, literally talking about the civil rights movement but that bitch cost me an oscar well you know his ba- his basic argument is that you know how does the film get nominated for best picture and best all these other things but doesn't get nominated for best screenwriting you know smack him I, in the mouth he, he, He's all ego. This I'm just reading his op-ed. Puff and bluff, yo. He's <laughs> trash, yo. That's why. I, what? What? I'm literally looking at his filmography right now. And have we seen any of the other movies? These are the. Done? These are yeah. the best long, original screenplays. Because this is an original screenplay. Because it ain't based in uh, fact. No. Rain no. Man, Big Bull Durham, <laughs> a fish called Wanda, Running on Empty. Not better. I'll give it to a silly ass comedy like a fish called Wanda before. <laughs> oh yeah, I give it to By Mississippi Burning. Is this anywhere I mean, near as good of a movie as Bull Durham or Rain or Rain Man or fucking Big? Is it Big? I give it to. I give it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. If we I give to, it to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> Jesus, still a still a bot. Um, anyway, he goes on to say. For real. When I think about Mississippi Burning these days, I don't think about any of that. Honestly, I've only dredged it all up because I wanted to write this article. When I think about now, when I think about the movie, is this. A documentary called Long Night Shorty Today came out in 2001 about the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in South Africa after the fall of apartheid. In it, a white policeman who admitted that he assassinated four black activists on behalf of the previous regime talks to the camera about why he came forward and what it was that changed his perspective. And the first thing he talks about before he mentions Nelson Mandela's autobiography 
biography yeah. is Mississippi Burning. Take well, Nelson Mandela's <laughs> name out your fucking mouth. Well, shoot, that's something. The hell with the critics and the Academy too, and whoever small away, we might have influenced the history of a nation for the better. Right there. How many times do you get to do that in a screenwriting career? Yo, yeah, he's he, taking credit for. Uh, he's taking credit apartheid. for it. <laughs> taking credit for apartheid, yo. Definitely. Is, no, we're not distilling it. That's what he said. So. He was no, like, that other movie wouldn't have existed, bro. That's before, what he's saying, man. Before Nelson Mandela, get him out the paint. Yep. My movie was what is what touched this white murderer's heart. This, this, this nigga wrote an op-ed in Ariana Huffington's post. To dunk on Coretta Scott King and Nelson Mandela for his whack ass movie, you sit the fuck down. That movie came out at least fifteen it's years just, before this op ed was written. It's so sit wild, dumbass down. Yeah. Giving his perspective on what he thought he was making, how far off it is from the finished product, yes. is kind of like a horror movie in and of itself. It's just it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, boy, I'm oh, about no. to read from again. This is not oh, this no. is not something where somebody quartered him and like just was was trying to get him or he was on nightline, you know, with Julian Bond being being assaulted, you know, by uh <laughs> accusations and whatnot. This is from literally from AlanParker.com. Um and is his recollections on the film. And so like a lot of this when you read it, it's like him talking about uh you know like the day-to-day makings of the movie and all this stuff so it's like part of it is like oh i mean yeah this is kind of interesting like from a filmmaking perspective like hearing you know a lot of the things that went into it but there's a few (laughs) choice quotes that i wanted to read you from it and so in the very first paragraph you know like certain parts of the essay are, are bolded out and this is one of those bolded Parts that reads, our film cannot be the definitive film of the black civil rights struggle. Our heroes were still white, and in truth, the film would have probably never been made if they weren't. This is perhaps as much of a sad reflection on present-day society as it is on the film industry. So, okay, started out strong, giving us, yeah. you know, okay, like, yeah, I, I'm aware of what's going on here, and I, and I take, you know, a little bit of the fault for some of this, but... Then he goes on to say this. I have no <laughs> doubt that the controversy that surrounded it took away from some of the appreciation of what it was or what it was trying to say. It certainly wasn't intended to be the definitive story of the black civil rights struggle, nor could nor could one film ever be. But the loudest voice in the film is undoubtedly black. If you can't hear that, you must be deaf. <laughs> then I can't hear shit, bro. Cause the... <laughs> What the loudest black voice in that is little Eddie, little Eddie, Eddie Winslow. Winslow. <laughs> and, he, and you kick him in the mouth before he gets to say anything. And he's talking to God. <laughs> Come on, man. Come on, man. Don't lie to me, dog. Don't lie to me, man. You gotta be deaf, Cameron. You can't see I, it. Pretty not. I, can't, I couldn't hear you. What'd you say? <laughs> he goes on to say, again, on his own website, 
at the heart of the criticism <laughs> was the fact that the black civil rights struggle had somehow been usurped by a bunch of white guys on and off the screen. The history of that struggle deserved many films, and many of them had already been made for cinema and TV and, frankly, been ignored. Mississippi Burning happened to be the first one that had made any impact on a global scale with its media visibility, box office, and showy Oscar nominations. So suddenly... Everyone was talking about the odious effects of racism in America, and my film was the punching bag for people to get on air and express their views, furthering their own agendas. This annoyed me at first, because I'm a film director, not a politician, and I thought that my film maybe had been forgotten and the issues had taken over. But that's why I made the film in the first place, so maybe I should just take the dumping on the movie from hell and be pleased that the debate was occurring at all. And then he finishes with this flourish. As for the patronizing notion that we were white filmmakers making the film on behalf of black people that was abhorrent among black filmmakers, but reverse bigotry is at play when one ethnic group insists that only they have the right to tell a story about that particular group. This kind of ghetto art mentality was spawned of racial intolerance and manifests itself in a perverse mirror of that same insidious intolerance. Are these people saying that an Asian American can't make a film about the mafia because he or she is not Italian? That David Lean can't make Dr. Zhivago or Richard Attenborough can't make Gandhi? Or Shakespeare write The Merchant of Venice or Hamlet or Othello? Certainly, the two protagonists of Mississippi Burning are white. At that time, the film would never have been made if they weren't. As I've said earlier, this was as much a reflection of society we live in as the agendas did, did of the film Did you say ghetto mentality? Did he say ghetto mentality? He said uh, the the ghetto art okay. Uh, mentality. <laughs> okay. I think he may have been speaking in terms <laughs> yeah, of like sure. ghettoized, like, you know, things being, yeah, you know, I mean, but I'll... still... <laughs> Still a choice. I like, tri- <laughs> I like that you're able to stay calm about this, Drew, because I want to find out where he's staying. I want to find what this I'm nigga's staying. Where, where is he staying? This is hard to process. This, like, this arrogance <laughs> that these people have, instead of... Um, and how long after this? Yes. Well, there's a website. You ain't have dot com in 1988. So it must have been what's at least a, a while after the movie was yeah. made. I don't know. Just I, That type of arrogance yeah. is just... It's foreign to me to not want to learn. And I just, you know, I mean, like it's always it's surprising, but it isn't right. right. How often right. people who make these movies, right, these civil rights films, these movies about black struggle, about, you know, like the the horrors of racism and inequality will then turn around and say not even just racist shit, but the kind of stuff that's just like. You know that's you know that's white supremacy, right? You know what you're talking about right now in this <laughs> moment is the exact antithesis of what you at least you thought that your film was supposed to be because the idea that this is uh, I mean they, they love the talking point of wait, so you're telling me that I can't make a movie about Malcolm X because I'm a white man and, and you know, only Spike Lee has the ability to do that? See, here's like, the thing, but no one's no one's ever countered him by saying, no, I didn't say you can't. can't. If, you, were, if you, you really should. want that movie to get made, well, not even just that. a black director some money and be a producer on the film? I mean, it's not like, it's like, it's just, so one-track minded and arrogant and ridiculous. Like, I mean, like, yeah. yeah. 
I mean, that that notion even persists because literally Warner Brothers would not give Spike <laughs> enough money to make Malcolm X. <laughs> like, they well, it famously but, did not give him that money. So, like... The thing about it that's always crazy is, like, literally no one has ever stopped you. That's literally the reason this podcast exists is because they keep letting you do that. Nobody <laughs> has ever said, white people, please stop making these movies and then been like yeah you know what you're right you got it you know what i mean like since fucking birth of a nation until now you have persisted like it's never been a moment where you're like should we make this movie about black people or about asian people or about native people or about no you do it you make dance with those wolves you turn around and you make you make make all these other movies where you're just like yo we're gonna tell your stories You know what I mean? And so the idea that we're somehow gatekeeping our stories, where you oh even let us God. make our stories, yeah, and is the, 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 insane. Really insane. It's actually part, insane. And this, is, this also goes along the lines with um, all the discussions around council culture. Is that like, what can we gatekeep? What the power do we have to gatekeep people to not make films about? <laughs> Like getting mad and right. saying you're a piece of shit in an interview is is not going to stop you from making a movie it's not stopping anybody it's like it's like i mean well i was going to say that uh, it's not it doesn't stop these people from making these movies i mean we literally live in a world where like john voight is a known racist and yet we sort of gatekeep him out of like hollywood movies yet two months later you'll find him making these weird right-wing movies about how roe v wade is just like against god yeah. like no one's gatekeeping. Uh, when it comes to gatekeeping, just y'all gonna do y'all shit anyway. Yeah, Mel Gibson We're, is back. Is getting offers to do big Hollywood movies again. Like still, he's on. Tape. And he came for the Jews. You know, what I mean? <laughs> no, he did. You he know, didn't even come he for did. us. He did. I'm not gonna repeat what he, he said. came for us too. <laughs> did he come for us? He, he, oh, no, pack no, no, of no, he, he came for us. You know what I mean? Yeah. What? Oh, I did not know that. See, I was oh, going to give him Apocalypto, and now nah, I can't even give him that. Nah, I'll play you. I'll play you. I'll play you the, the audio sometime. Damn, later, that but... that means I can't Run watch Apocalypto no more. Yeah, well, Run for the library. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to support somebody who that shipping library or pirating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. And I'm a pirate and send it to my friend. <laughs> but so you know, we're we're looking at all of this stuff from again the people who made this movie you know what i mean like they they are the people behind this film this is how they this is the energy they had decades later you know what i mean like so you can only imagine what they were feeling at the time like i don't think anything changed Definitely. dramatically since the making of the film so you know like the only other things to talk about is behind the scenes is that obviously there are a lot of historical inaccuracies. They are very upfront that this is not an historical film. It is a film that is pulling from a particular story, but isn't literally, you know, that story. And so again, historical context, James Cheney, Andrew Goodman, Michael Schwerner were three civil rights activists who were coming back. There was the, the freedom summer where people were going around in the South, trying to get people to register to vote, all of that stuff. Um, they were in Mississippi, uh, in Philadelphia, Mississippi, and were arrested earlier in the day and then were let go and were told to leave and make sure that you're out of town basically by sundown. Um, but 
kind of similar to what happens in the movie. It was a setup where they just let them go in order to, you know, trap them and track them down later. In the movie, they're murdered right there in the car. In real life, they are basically taken to a remote location and, you know, shot and murdered uh, and buried in a similar fashion, kind of, you know, in a, One in of a, the men, near a farm. They found his uh, a ball of sand in his hand, which signifies yeah. that he wasn't he wasn't dead when he was buried yeah their whole plot again of francis mcdermott's character being the informant was false uh there was somebody known only as mr x for about 40 years uh who was basically the informant who had seen you know the murders and reported them and knew where the bodies were buried um it turned out to be a highway patrolman who revealed the locations of the bodies to the fbi agents um the infamous scene sorry to burst your bubble about agent Razorblade, not a real person uh at the time infamously famously the only two black people on the fbi payroll were jay gotuber's personal servants uh who he illegally had on the payroll uh so he didn't have to pay them himself but there were no black fbi agents at the time and so this was a fabrication allegedly you know from what at least this person has said and other people have kind of corroborated is that uh there was like a a mob informant who owed them a favor and was kind of the person they would bring in to put the squeeze on people so to speak so uh this probably was the person that they had brought in this F- this uh, mafia informant uh, who they just told, yeah, to get these clan people to tell us what they know. You know what I mean? But, you know, there's other certain inaccuracies throughout the film. You know, it'd, it'd be a whole separate podcast to go through and kind of pick everything out. But like, you know, there, none of the, none of the names are real. You know, they've changed all the names. They did a lot of things so that they kind of had the, ability and weren't liable in terms of you know like getting things wrong which they got a lot of things wrong Mm -hmm. Uh, (laughs) but that brings us to reimagining this movie and thinking about if that's something that we even want to do if that's something that you feel is necessary so drew we'll kick it to you um if you had to remake mississippi burning specifically from a black poc viewpoint what would you do to change this movie to make it more in the in that line. Yeah, I mean, most of it's fake. I would make, um, I would make the detectives black. I would make it that one of them grew up in that area. Um, I would get rid of the love story, <laughs> and I would make I would make a huge civil rights component to it. I would. Um, I would have one of the main characters, somebody who lives in that community and is, I would make up like a civil rights activist that is really, really popular in this part of town. Um, yeah, I would do that. I would make somebody who had, who has had a lot of run-ins with the KKK, but for some, whatever reason, they, they won't kill him, something like that. Maybe he has too much national influence. So that's the person that they won't attack because they know that if you attack him, then this FBI thing mm-hmm. will happen. Um, but it happens anyway. That's what probably what I would do. I would make, um, yeah, I would try and I would focus more on the people who actually lived in this town that were of color. Yeah. I would I would give them, I would want to hear what they thought about what's going on, especially with, because um, what happened in this movie is there's an occupation of this mm-hmm. land 
and it's upsetting. And I know it's upsetting the white people. I, it has to upset the black people. We don't ever know what they think about, really what they think about an FBI occupying their home. Um, and that's something I would want to spend a lot of time dissecting and learning what the natives think about yeah. that. Cam, what about you? I, I kind of might piggyback off of that idea a little bit, Drew. Um, but I think this, I mean, and I don't know if it's a marketable thing, but I, this is a horror story. This is a horror film, right? Mm-hmm. This is this is that American horror story that, you know, Lena Waithe tried desperately to do with, with them or whatever the fuck she was trying to do with that. Um but this is the actual horror story, right? Because think about it. If you're an actual native of the town, if you're living in that town and there's a racially motivated murder in a town where this is already existing, but it's it's not happening on this scale and at this like clip that it's happening. So now, now things are heightened. So I guess I kind of see it as like probably from the point of view of somebody who works and lives in the town and they hear about, you know, these civil rights uh, activists who are murdered. And then, you know, you kind of, I kind of see this movie as like, it's about a regular person. I don't know who it is, but it's about a regular type character who witnesses all this stuff happening on the news and the media in the town and the newspapers. And it feels like it's getting closer and it's getting closer and it's getting closer until it's literally in your church, it's in your backyard, it's your family, because that's how these stories kind of happen to us a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we see right. these national atrocities, we, we see, you know, we've seen the George Floyds, we've seen the Breonna Taylors, we've read about them, and while it's horrifying, while it's terrifying, just to live in the world that that's, you know, allowed, because it's allowed, Yeah, if we're being honest, we're, it's, it's allowed in this country that we live in. But once it starts getting closer, once that threat starts getting closer to you and closer to you and closer to you, that's when it's actually terrifying. That's when it's actually real. And I think that, I don't know if that's a horror movie that I want to see necessarily, because I'm not sure. like interested in black death exploited for mainstream entertainment purposes. But that's the horror film. That's the horror story. Mm. And I think that's yeah. a movie that black people sadly can empathize with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to add one more thing to how I make this movie different. I think I would make the end. It has the ending of this movie is so American Hollywood racist mm. movie. They went to jail for five years, ten years, uh, and then running off in the sunset, the kumbaya moment. I probably end this movie with um, one of the Klansmen slash police officer slash um, what is a synonym anyway. Um, getting out of prison and them coming and meeting their their family, their son, and then them teaching their son like how to be racist or mm. something. That's probably how I ended Ooh. on like a really dark note of like how this this cycle is going to is going to continue um, until we really do something about wow. it. Um, and not really be too heavy handed, but just be like, hey, this this is not ending. We're not really doing anything about it. We're watching movies like mississippi burning that don't really tell the story and we're acting like it it's nothing more than just pure entertainment not like it's some real racial reckoning type yeah of story. not like it's a life that people live yeah. not like that it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's literally a reality for major parts of america 
Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that I'm surprised this movie didn't get nominated for best uh, production because I almost believe some of those black people were real in the backgrounds. (laughs) Like they were just like, oh my God, there to literally be the set setting and the dressing for the movie. While like the one black dude who like after the, the kid who gets just like dropped off in the middle of the street um in mm. main street and then like you know the the fbi rushes in but then the police are like no like this is our town we got this we're gonna handle it and then francis mcdermott like forlornly walks back to her uh salon and there's just like a old black man like watching and she like gently touches his arm before walking back in i was just like who is that man <laughs> <laughs> and why did they do that to him <laughs> did, did you did you peep his reaction yeah. though yeah <laughs> He was like, don't you touch me. Come on, man. Don't you touch me out in public. (laughs) (laughs) I think, you know, I mean, for a lot of these movies, specifically things that are very much so actual history, I always prefer a documentary if you can. You know, like, I feel like that's I, I would like the information to be out there and for people to be able to, you know, go through and see. And there's a lot of stuff that this is a part of, you know what I mean? Like a lot of different documentaries that you can watch that deal with it. Cause it is a very famous case. Uh, and one that I think for better or worse, they don't really talk about it. They like hint at it. And then they immediately pivot away where I forget who asked the question of like, you know, why are you, why are you down here? And it's like, well, you wouldn't be down here if it wasn't two white boys who got killed, you know, because like, this is happening all the time. You know what I mean? So like, it's, because two white civil rights activists were killed, not just because, you know, people were murdered in general. Um, But I think that, like, I always like to get the perspective of the people in the town. Now, from what I'm being shown in this movie, it's hell on earth. (laughs) Every day you wake up and you're running for your life because the Klan is firebombing your house, your church. Uh, You know, they're, they're chasing you out of of service you know afterwards or whatever Mm. so it's just like it's you're you're bad it's down bad from from morning to night but i think anything you can do to really show the three-dimensional lives of the people who were living in this town and and what they were going through because they obviously had thoughts and feelings on what's happening so even if we take it from a perspective of not a police procedural but more so maybe a family drama set in this particular town and period of time where it's just like, you know, uh, because the other thing that they don't talk about is that Martin Luther King Jr. did come here, you know, like a month or two after the disappearances and then did come back, you know, once the trials were taking place. So it's not like civil rights protests and you know, civil rights activists weren't coming to this town. It was just the only the FBI, you know, was, was playing a role in this. So, you know, having, having, a young man or woman who's living in this town and watching these things happen. And like, it's their inspiration to get involved in the civil rights movement. And maybe their parents are like, I don't know, this doesn't seem worth it. Like, you know, we're, mm. they're, they're, they're killing us. They're chasing us around. Like, you know, do you really want to put yourself in that kind of danger? But then also seeing the bravery of all these people and and making the decision that I too want to get involved and you don't have to make it like in the origin story of, <laughs> you know, John Lewis or, you know, anything like that. It's like, no, like, you know, these, you could be anybody. It doesn't have to be a famous person. Um, but just that 
power of the movement itself, where it was what was giving people hope and giving people the ability to withstand and endure horrors, everyday horrors. You know what I mean? Because like, if you if you frame it the way that this movie is framed, we're just sad and woe is me. Every day is <laughs> is a struggle to live, as opposed to like active resistance to terror. You know what I mean? Which is what a lot of what was going down in these places. Black people were just we're just getting beat and not doing anything about it, but also we're not being beaten down in that way. Like it it was horrible and terrible to live through and endure, but like mm-hmm. we are here because those people lived through that and, and, and made a way from right. that. You know what I mean? So like to have a movie that basically just says, Oh, and they were also there and it was real bad for them. But here's FBI, <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, come on guys, you, you know, better than that. Who doesn't know better than that though, are the many, many aggregate uh, review sites that we like to frequent. We're trying to figure out where these movies uh, exist and just the popular consciousness. And so we're going to play our game with you, Drew. going to go around to the many different sites and figure out what did these movies get, starting with imdb.com. So out of 10 on a point system, what do you think Mississippi Burning has? Um, I probably would have given this, before I uh, heard that up there, probably like a seven. Seven. Um, so I I think they'll probably jump that up to maybe an eight point five eight points. They have weird so a little eight point eight point six. Cameron, what? It's never it's never tidy. <laughs> Cameron, what about you? <laughs> um, IMDb is nominated for best picture. I'm gonna say seven point eight. Right on the money, Cam. 7.8. Oh, my God. Ooh. Um, okay. Oh, my God. We did it. Which, again, I mean, we, <laughs> we say this a lot, but, like, a 7 is high. A 7 is high on IMDb. So a 7.8 is, like, you're yeah. in the top, top of all of IMDb. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know where this is at the moment, but, like, I have to imagine in the top 100, possibly. Um, Ugh. <laughs> People loved it. You know what I mean? That's 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 seven point eight out of nearly a hundred thousand reviews. Um nearly a so, hundred thousand yes. Yeah. So, you know, again, people love Gene Hackman, they love William Defoe. A lot of people look at this as an they important love film. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> if we go over to Rotten Tomatoes, what do you think this movie has out of a hundred percent? I'm about to be. I'm about to be a copycat. I'll do a seventy-three percent. Seventy-three. Cam, what do you think? Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I'm gonna say seven five, seven point five. It's got eighty-four percent. Really? Oh, I should have stuck. Okay. Very I mean, yeah, that was you. That was your work. It's not, you know, like, wow. it's, it's it's tricky because, you know, these are reviews that are coming from a lot of different periods of time. And oftentimes they don't take right. into account right, right, right. a lot of the reviews of the time. Um, and so, again, yeah, there are certain reviews like that, you know, Time Magazine review and other reviews that were telling, you know, okay, yeah, we're not, we're not with this movie. This is kind of, you know, one, largely inaccurate, but two, like, you know, we're seeing through it Spike Lee of course dunked on this movie as you know a lot of people did um so 
that's the the critical review. But if we go over to Amazon.com, our favorite, <laughs> out of five stars, what do you think Mississippi Burning has? I, I have no context for what Amazon reviews mm. look like. Um, shit, I'm gonna say, let's say four point eight, just because I just imagine people don't really do. I, th- I imagine it's like one or five. Everybody who does an Amazon review. I, I think you might know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go full five. Yeah. It yeah. is a full five. Five stars. Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> out of uh, 2,500 ratings. 2,500 reviews, five stars across the board. Five stars. Uh, there's a lot of things in here, but like it is funny to look at two particular reviews there's one review that is one stars that says fbi portrayed as victims of racist and saviors while blacks take back seat in their own struggle uh so shout out to that person who, who goes in on them and then the other one how many stars did they how many stars did they give the movie one star that would be uh how do you get a full five? Oh, okay but and then there's another one star review uh, the title is simply damaged <laughs> the the film is fantastic seen it before classic however the dvd is obviously faulty and after about 45 minutes the picture just kept freezing uh so it's it's a one star for the quality of the dvd not the movie itself which they probably would have given five stars (laughs) (laughs) um but now it has come time for us to rank this film on our caucasity ranking system uh and we've got three levels of caucasity for you drew Starting off with the first level, which is shorts in the winter. Basically, you know, it's it's we're getting into the summertime. It's hot outside. Shorts are a perfectly acceptable uh, attire to wear. But as we get into the winter months, you know, what I mean, it's cold. I live in Austin, man. <laughs> shorts in the winter. <laughs> there ain't nothing wrong with that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I live in Austin, buddy. <laughs> out, out here on the East Coast, though, uh, it is a questionable <laughs> choice in twenty degree weather to still have on your. <laughs> Uh, your Aeropostale shorts uh, when it's <laughs> <laughs> clearly snow on the ground. And your Birkenstocks. Ground, you know. Um, but this is like, okay, I'm curious, but this isn't hurting me, right? Like, there's no actual violence mm-hmm. happening here. It's probably more happening to you than to me. Uh, <laughs> but, like, you know, I just just making an observation that that's probably a strange choice that you made. Uh, Cam, what's the second level? Second level, Carl Cassidy, is this movie's touching my hair. So now this movie has entered your space. This movie don't give a fuck now. <laughs> or maybe it does give a fuck. It, it tries to act like it gives a fuck, but it's still touching your hair. Yeah. So it, uh, at this point, the movie is witting or unwittingly causing violence against you, actually trying to make some kind of point but getting it wrong somehow, probably along the way. Mm. And the third level of caucasity, boy, white people have been at it recently, so it's really hard to choose what. I mean, take your pick. One. Take your pick. Is it is it doors? Is it Republicans and doors? Who they just they can't wrap their minds around anything else involving gun control. So the the oh, obvious problem. Yeah, well, must be that we'll, we'll, we'll call it Abbott. Yeah, we'll call it Abbott. We'll oh, call it the Abbott level. Yeah. Oh my God! I saw the uh, I saw the video of the guy who put the chair in the door and was like, "That wasn't that hard." I was like, "Bruh, did you read did the you, room?" Did you hear the dude who was <laughs> yeah. talking about putting man traps 
and the entryway to man uh, traps. Man traps. The I didn't hear that. Elementary school, or just all schools. I did not hear. Where there's like no. a trip wire, and it like triggers a thing where like the doors interlock, and it sounds like some fucking like uh... great idea. <laughs> or 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 is it Ted Cruz's even better idea? To create uh, one entrance and exit for all school buildings, yes. so that yeah. even in case of fire, you all gotta go out the same way. <laughs> yes, and that way is and by they, fire. And want to arm the teachers too. I went to these schools, man. Yeah, uh, I don't think any of those teachers have a gun <laughs> no. in the school. Thank God. Well, is it similarly related? White people writing into Quinta Brunson and telling her. Can you make a school shooting episode oh of your uplifting black sitcom about children? Is that something that you could do for me? Yeah, could you do that the for me? Because I'm, I'm I, I need that. I need that. The thing, the thing that's even more aggravating about that is that this show is already really political. Yeah, right. If you if you would just sit down, shut up, and stop trying to get her to do something the way you want her to do, if you engage the show on its terms it's already really political hmm. the first already episode a makes a very stern point about teacher yeah. salaries <laughs> right the pilot yeah. does <laughs> but we could, i mean we could go on and on but basically this is the level of of ultimate caucasity you have this made a final choice. level iced tea yes. caucasity. you know what you i mean know. like i got you 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 before know before i heard that op-ed yeah before i heard that op-ed this was a touching my hair uh, because I thought it's a really, I thought it was a great police, you know, as much as you can like a police movie. Yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, it's, I mean, Will, Willem and Gene are great. Yeah. But after that op-ed, this is Greg Abbott <laughs> at night clan meeting. On, <laughs> he's on, he's on um, Nazi forums. Yeah. He's on 4chan. Yep. This is an abomination of a film. It doesn't it, it doesn't set out to do anything it intended. And I think that's the measure of a good film. Yeah. You do you do what you try to do and you succeed, you're good. You fail at what you're succeeding, you're awful. And then just the way that they erased so many voices yeah. in this film when they thought they were uplifting them. Yeah. It's um yeah, no. Cameron, no. what what do you think? This movie. This is, I, go ahead. This go is, ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll give this a celiac. I have celiac. I need gluten free. That's what this. <laughs> <get> this movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's on that level. Damn. <laughs> That's a bar. Um, no, this movie is like such a coloring book, paint by numbers, like racism, civil rights movie. Because it's literally like it starts in with the sepia tone. Like I literally rolled my <laughs> damn eyes when I saw the two fountains. I was like, Jesus Christ! If I see a white person drink from the white one and a black person drink from the yep. black one, I will puke. And then I went to the bathroom. <laughs> this movie has everything. It has old black women mm, just vocalizing over tragedy. It has sad black people. It's got burning crosses. It's got a full lynching. Yep. It's got a whole lynching. This movie is terrible. This movie is the worst. <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem with it, too, is that it goes hard, but it's so plain. It's so milk toast about going so hard. So it's just like, 
like I gotta see horrible things. As a black person, I have to watch that and watch horrible things. Yeah. But they're presented so plainly. And then yeah. on top of it, the two white people I'm supposed to root for work for J. Edgar Hoover's <laughs> FBI. Like <laughs> this movie is like oh my god, this movie is this movie is Ted Cruz. This movie is me. This movie is me yelling at Ted Cruz, and then I get taken out of the restaurant, and he waves bye bye at me, like as, as I am dragged kicking and screaming from the Wendy's. Oh, God. It's not a Raphael Cruz. It's no. Ted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Raphael Cruz. Yeah, take your yep. Raphael Cruz ass to Puerto Rico and see how they handle you, homeboy. This it's this movie is like if if you made if you combine, uh, remember the Titans in seven. the fact that that's so fucking accurate is it's like spot on accurate it's it's so good that was i i had to bow down to you that was so good it's literally seven and remember the titans that's fucking ill it's it's that level i i I agree with with all of you uh (laughs) like i just can't i just can't get over the fact that like Black people are on screen getting beaten more than they are on screen talking. <laughs> you know yes. I mean? Yes. Like, there's more scenes of black people just in peril, just like, you know, like we can't overstate. Like you think that maybe we're making a big deal out of this, but literally every 10 to 15 minutes, there is a scene of a black person just in danger, whether or not actual harm is coming to them, like harm is coming to them eventually. You know what I mean? Uh, and so it's like you're you're basically just anticipating like every literally every single conversation that the FBI has either with or in the vicinity of a black person. That same black person five minutes later is getting jumped by the Klan. One thousand percent. And so like that already takes it to another level. And then the second I got to. My mother marched with Martin Luther King Jr. I already knew we were in for some shit, and then like <laughs> doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on that. So like I I can't say anything less than the highest level of caucasity. Uh, oh and it's gonna be it's I always say it's gonna be hard to top, but they love they love to do it. They they <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> they make a they make a pastime of it. You're um, like they, I, they, this can't be the worst well, one. White people are just like hold on to your butts. <laughs> Well, I wanted to ask y'all, um, can you rank the Mississippi trilogy? Mm. Oh, wow. Wow. I haven't seen all of them. Wait, wait, wait. I, I so, mean, so what are we ranking it in, in, in terms of, in terms of like caucasity? Are we ranking it? You got to You got to You got to crown one. Well, because I think you we gave all one of them. And you got to give one three to I, We really <laughs> did give them all <laughs> final level IC caucasity. One. One has to be crowned one, as one Mississippi to the rule them all. Right, one uh, Mississippi. <laughs> <laughs> so we got so we got Ghosts of Mississippi. We yeah. have a time to kill, and yeah. we have this film Mississippi Burning. We've got Ghosts of Mississippi, where Whoopi Goldberg, <laughs> who plays Merle Evers, turns to Alec Baldwin's white lawyer character <laughs> to his face, says to him in his eyes, "You remind <laughs> me of Medgar." <laughs> Wait, but then, but then we also have a time to kill where we're we watch the entire movie and then we're treated to the final arguments 
told the, the, the story told of a of a horrible rape, and then a, an equally justi- a justified murder. But mm-hmm. then we are told to think, but what if they were white? And rule on that jury. But I'm also now realizing that all three of them have unnecessary romantic subplots. A hundred percent. It's America. It's, an Amer- <laughs> it's an American movies. It man. was literally these movies where we zeroed in on the unnecessary love plot in these movies. Medgar Evers is shot, but I need to have an extensive uh, look into Alec Baldwin's marriage to the nurse who fixes his son's arm after another kid calls him a nigger lover no no fam no fam we need to we need to no i'll go step one step further we need to exhume <laughs> megahever's body and we need to see that shit but then cut it right next to alec baldwin making out with his new wife yeah like with the little 360 shot around him like and and then and then we've also got uh this kind of strange will they won't they with McConaughey uh, and Sandra Bullock and Sandra Bullock through that whole movie where they eventually just don't but like <laughs> it's it's a huge subplot of the movie that gets more more screen time than Samuel Jackson whose daughter was violently raped and almost murdered you know what I mean like he he has less lines than Sandra Bullock who is he has the best line. Kind of. Right. You're know he, right about that. You're right about that. So, I mean, so can we can we crown it? You think we can crown it? I don't know. I almost want to give it a three way tie, but I feel like if I had to go in order, if you really, if you, if you put a razor blade to, my... <laughs> to your balls, <laughs> I guess I would say probably this. Mississippi Burning number one, Ghost of Mississippi number two, and then A Time to Kill number three, and they're close. They're so mm-hmm. close. Um, but I think this this is egregious, and because I think the thing that I was thinking about in terms of those other two movies is that there are central black characters, right? Even though Whoopi Goldberg is kind of more or less adjacent to Alec Baldwin than like parallel with, um, you know, she is you know, Medgar Evers' widow and is like the impetus of the film. Like she's Mm. the one kind of helping to push the action forward. Right. In a time to kill again, literally Samuel Jackson's the one that the whole trial is revolving around him, even though he disappears for like 45 minutes of the movie, but he's at least like the, and he gets, he gets the big line and he, you know, has some other central points to the film. There uh, literally there. I can't name a, I had to look at the, the cast listing to figure out that Eddie Winslow's name was Aaron Williams. You know, oh, I mean? he had a name. Yeah, I didn't. know. They gave him a last name too. Well, look, wow. Can can we can That's we incredible. go in that when you look at the cast listing? So your boy Frankie Faison's only listed as eulogist, right? Uh, not even preacher. Not even like. No, oh my god, eulogist. No, he he's there he to eulogize. Yeah, the three main. You know, civil rights activists who are killed don't get names at all. So one of them is Passenger, one of them is Goatee, and then one of them is Black Passenger. Get the... No! Can you imagine reading for Black Passenger, Cameron? (laughs) That's that's like... That's so... I mean, that's almost to the point of malicious 
because <laughs> it's mockery. Yeah. So this movie is about it's about these people, these civil rights activists that basically ended up laying down their lives. Nah, it's about goatee and black passenger. Or, yeah. <laughs> it's about which, it's, which sounds like bucking the preacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, it's they couldn't even give those those men names. No. Yeah. I it's think pretty, it's pretty disgusting. I think I have to rate them the same way. I think Mississippi Burning is like definitely the worst, but a close second. <laughs> it, like it's might as well be the, like play this movie and then just like start up the next reel, start up the next movie because Ghost yeah. of Mississippi is coming. Ghost of right. Mississippi starts with that fucking montage <laughs> with the sepia tone montage. They do the same shit of just that. That's the one. That's the one I haven't seen. Oh my god! And anyway, yeah. I I hadn't seen Mississippi Burning since I was a teenager, and I hadn't seen um, the Sam Jackson one since I was a teenager either. So you yeah. want to hear you want to hear my suggestion on uh, Ghost Mississippi? Don't skip it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. Listen to our episode and then feel yeah. like you watched the movie because that's probably you know it'll save you time. Well, let's let's give some people some quick. Um, recommendations on the way out if there's any movies that you feel like people should watch instead again they could be civil rights related or they could just be movies that you think people should see right all right who's starting am i starting uh yeah yeah, if you want to um shit i'm gonna um i'm gonna start off here with judas and the black messiah I i think it's a really great film and i think it it, it really puts um, the socialist politics in the very in the forefront, and um, I honestly kind of really liked what they did in in, in terms of um, giving all these people um, a kind of a fully realized version of themselves and of reality. And I think this movie is really just about survival. Everybody mm-hmm. just wants to survive on their terms. Some of those terms may be evil or selfish. Or, or righteous, um, but that movie is really about survival, and I think it's um, probably the best civil rights movie I've ever seen, um, and by a long, a long shot. Um, there aren't very, there aren't a lot of good ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, I would, I would say watch Do the Right Thing. Uh, it's actually called, mm-hmm. it's actually called Babylon. It's uh, <laughs> about Jamaican people <laughs> in the UK. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> just, I just saw that, actually. Yeah. It's a great movie. It's an it awesome the right, movie. Do the Right Ting. It's amazing. Do the Right Ting. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Um, also, it's a dope movie. Boy State, which I think if you want to. Wow. You've seen Boy State, the documentary? I saw it a couple years ago. Yeah. It's a really good window into politics and how they're shaped in this country these a lot of young mostly white mostly republican kids um basically mapping out the future of this country um it's a really it's a shocking it's horrifying it's titillating it's an amazing um it's an amazing documentary and then um i'm just gonna throw out titane um because it's just a fucking fantastic Mm. movie and if you really want to get weird I, yeah, you want to get if you want to see what movies, what how good movies can be when they aren't beholden to an Americanized studio picture. You got to have a weird romance that makes no sense. <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's an amazing movie. No plot, just go watch it. <laughs> be shocked. I, I, I have I, <laughs> I watched the first fifteen minutes because I was like, should I save this for my girlfriend? 
And then here I am two months later, still haven't finished it because I'm like, she hell no, she's never gonna watch this movie. There's no <laughs> fucking way she's gonna watch that movie. <laughs> but I can't wait. I can't wait myself. Cam, do you have any recommendations? Uh I recommend that I finish Titan. Okay. Uh <laughs> I I recommend you know what? I recommend that you watch Selma and try to squint and see your white friend's parents. <laughs> In the background somewhere mm. there to see if they actually did the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know what? Let me see. What do, what do I actually suggest? See, I haven't... The problem is I haven't watched too many movies recently because all the movies I've watched now are for this. Oh, and sorry. most of them are horrible. Go ahead and free yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, yes. I suggest watching the Fantasia Burrito story oh. starring Fantasia from <laughs> the Lifetime film. Oh my god. You wanna see you wanna you wanna see Fantasia Burrito play herself at the age of fifteen when she's damn near thirty five? Um no. Mm. That's so check it out. That's happens in that movie. Yeah, it's that's it's fun. Yeah I'm watching that. It literally it, it was right on the heels of her American Idol win. Uh, and it's the story of her life, starring her for a lifetime. What a ride! What um, a ride. I will suggest two movies that are have nothing to do with this movie. <laughs> Maybe they don't have anything to do with each other, but I think they're just fun movies to watch or interesting movies to watch. Um, one is a movie that I was just alerted to by my dad, and uh, I've only seen the trailers and a few clips. But it's on criteria now because they're they're starting to load up more and more black exploitation films. Mm. If you haven't heard of this film, it's called A Bar: The First Black Superman. <laughs> okay. This is the description: A black revolutionary is transformed into an indestructible telekinetic man of steel who sees about unleashing justice of biblical proportions upon a racist white suburb. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! I need this movie. And it just looks wild. It looks crazy. Um, so A Bar, A B A R, the first yes. Black Superman. Um, if you want to watch it, it's on Tubi. It's on the Roku channel. It's on Criterion channel now. Uh, so all those places, it's available to you. And then um, maybe just because I'm thinking of the the Man Who Fell to Earth upcoming series with Chiwetel, mm-hmm. um, I also just remembered really enjoying uh, Brother from Another Planet um which is it's it sounds dumb <laughs> but the movie is actually good yeah. <laughs> like it is an interesting film to watch it's more artsy than you probably think it is it's not really like a straight science fiction film or even like a um like a black exploitation kind I mean, it's black exploitation adjacent but it is a it is a fun and interesting film to watch so those are my two recommendations uh don't watch this movie. <laughs> both of those I've been meaning to watch, so yeah. I, I'm going to get on both of those. I'm definitely um, checking out A-Bar, like ASAP. A-Bar, A-Bar and ASAP. We watch an A-Bar tonight, <laughs> <Yeah>. yo. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, the, it's like the literal, I just want to see a black man just beat the shit out of white people. For <laughs> I need to after this. I need to it's, after this. It's just like the cultural reset. <laughs> um, but that's, that's going to do it for us. Drew, thank you so much for jumping on with us. This has been great. I uh, really appreciate having you. This was a blast. Um, let every- this is awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Let every- oh, of course. Anytime, man. Love having and me, man. Let everybody know 
where they can find you at on the internet, what you got going on, what people should be on the lookout for, all that good stuff. Um, you can find me on Twitter, H Drew Blackburn, um, H D R E W Blackburn. You can spell that. Um, and yo, I just got laid off at Netflix. I'm sure y'all know. Um, yeah, I'm I'm on the job hunt, and I'm about to start freelancing again soon. So I mean, I don't know. I mean, I I kind of have an open schedule that's about to hopefully get a little busy soon. So yeah, I've just been kind of for sure. taking this time to clear my head and. I don't, I'm 30. I'm not going to get a lot of vacations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what's up. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, you know, read read a couple of your pieces in different places and, and appreciated your work and definitely want to see more of it. So hopefully, you. you know, that Thank work is coming sure. your way soon. Yeah, thanks. Um, hopefully somebody hears this and gives you a job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the dream. Uh, Cam, what do you got going on? Yeah, find me on Twitter and IG at the Blipster eleven thirty eight. Um, got two Karen with love. Got some sketch comedy there on the YouTube's. Uh, Fernie and Luca soon come. Uh, yeah, and hopefully live shows soon come. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I'm Jordan Clark. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrsosa eighteen jrsosa one eight. Uh, comic stuff on the way. Samurai Sonia from Dynamite Comics on the way, June fifteenth, uh, running until October, and then I got another Red Sonia thing coming out from Dynamite in August. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, might be at some comic conventions around your way. Hey. Thinking about coming out to C two E two in Chicago, and then you know I'll be at um, Baltimore Comic Con and New York Comic Con in October. So uh, if you want ooh, ooh. comics, you can come come find me there. Uh, but if you want to find us, you can find us online on Twitter at white underscore pod. Uh, we'll have I'll I'll put the full Huffington Post op ed and uh, the link to Alan Parker's website up. If you just want to read through all of that stuff on your own, uh, that'll keep really me awake at work tomorrow. Very when interesting. I need um but also yeah be on the lookout for for live show announcements coming soon we're still talking about that be on the lookout for patreon stuff coming soon we're still talking about that but um if you want to reach out to us before then you can get in touch with us at white people won't save you pod at gmail.com uh always happy to hear from you uh we've gotten a few emails recently from people just suggesting some movies so we'll definitely add those to our list uh always appreciate that but that's going to do it for us this week we'll be back next week with more caucasity peace Peace. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved.